Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Gutter to Gutter podcast. This episode is a little different and we're visiting life on two wheels. In this episode I'm joined by Steve Summerfeld. Steve is an Aussie freestyle motocross legend who is currently residing in Germany. He has lived a life many would dream of and has some amazing stories that we only got to scratch the surface of. This episode has highs, lows, injuries, broken bones and brushes with fame. Talking to Steve was an absolute eye-opening look into the high-flying world of freestyle motocross, and I'm positive that you'll all love this episode of Gutter to Gutter. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Gutter Gutter Podcast. I'm joined tonight by Steve Summerfeld. Steve, how are you, mate? Not too bad. I, I'm glad you warmed me up with that little um, dressing room chat we've just had because I was pretty <laughs> tired. It's, it's early in the morning over here in Germany. I've, I've just had my coffee and uh, I'm feeling a little bit better now, actually. Thank you. <laughs> nice. So speaking of Germany really quick, you're... My first international guest with an Australian accent. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So in, yep. inter, international, yep. but not. Right? So you're coming to me from, from thousands of kilometers away with an Australian accent. So it's... Yeah, is it still different. an Australian accent? Does yeah. it sound Australian still? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. I, I do get told that it doesn't sound... It doesn't sound like me. I've completely had to change my voice over the last seven years yep. living over here in Germany. But yeah, so I, I live in Germany. I've been here for seven years. I came for two months to judge at the world championships at yep. night of the jumps for freestyle motocross. Uh, we decided to stay for five months and then it ended up being a year and now it's ended up being seven years and the holiday hasn't really stopped yet. So I'm, I'm still here. I travel Europe all the time. Um, but yeah, every time I go back home to Australia, everybody thinks I sound like the massive, uh, this massive yuppie. Yeah, so, right. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but I, I think the more we talk in this chat today, I think maybe I'll start to become more Aussie. Hopefully, my bogan comes out again. <laughs> nice, mate. All right. So that that's a little bit about yourself, which is great. Um, we'll jump into like just introductory questions, which we kind of ask everyone. Where did your love of bikes come from? Now, what we should, we should probably um, preface this by saying that this one's a little, this episode's a little different because normally, you know, we're, we're a, uh, a car podcast. We'll go, we'll go for the stretch and say automotive and you're a freestyle <laughs> motocross rider. Yeah. So we've, yeah. we've deleted a couple of wheels. Um, you're on two wheels. So this one's a bit different. Uh, normally we don't have people uh, with motorcycles and whatever else, but um, we made the connection and we're here and I can't wait to hear some of your stories, to be honest. Oh, well, uh, thank you so much for, for breaking the rules to have me on. That's even better. <laughs> I don't even, we don't even really have rules here. I had a, a guy on a while back, he um, he actually does the intro music for, for the podcast and I kind of went with a stretch that, you know, like people listen to music in cars, so so we'll have a musician on. 
And Absolutely. That, yeah, you know, so bending, no, the, rule, bending no. the rules is all good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all for it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And uh, no, I, to be honest, I I do love cars and and just a very quick one. I love driving cars in Germany where we have the autobahn. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's only uh, the autobahn from my house would be about two kilometers away. So yeah, yeah, it's it's not bad to jump on that one and just pin it. But uh, no, let's let's go for the let's go for the bike question. We can talk about autobahns too if you like. Absolutely, we'll, we'll get in there somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, exactly. So no. two two wheels are for me. Yep. So where where did your love of bikes come from? Where did it all start? Um, well, it started on my fourth birthday. My dad bought me a Peewee fifty. Uh, so we had a dairy farm up in Queensland in a little town called Tyro, and I do remember jumping on it i couldn't even touch the ground um at four years old i hit a tree within the first minute and then by the end of the (laughs) afternoon i had to go with him and chase the cows home so that's probably about five or six kilometers of riding so i thought i'd like i I didn't think anything of it for the last 20 years or 30 years whatever but uh, thinking back like that was pretty crazy that he just stuck me on this bike and that by that afternoon i'd ridden five or six kilometers chasing cows around yeah so that 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 was the very start but the love of motorcycles i there's no one point it's just it's just been a continual gradual increase of appreciation for motorcycles the appreciation for riding appreciation for the mechanics of them and and the history of them like you know i'm getting a little bit older now and so now I go to museums and look into stuff about them. I want to get old bikes. I want to get new bikes. So yeah. it's it's just something that continues to grow. And but yeah, as a, as a kid, I just loved riding my bike. Awesome. So what what age was it that you got your first bike? Like, like uh, your your own. So that so that was oh you, my my own my yeah, own yeah. bike. If I bought it myself, was the I think it was my RMX 250. It was a 1998 model. And up until then, we had ag bikes on the farm. Um, and I, of course, I do freestyle motocross now, but the passion for jumping was well before that. And so I had a DT175, Yamaha DT175. And I was jumping about 60 foot on this thing. And I snapped the frame in six places one time, <laughs> managed to hobble this thing back home and dad jumped in the shed and he welded it all up. And a couple of days later, I snapped all those welds again, or at least close to those welds. Um, so that was the point because I told dad I wanted a DT200. And at that time, that was kind of like the midway between a motocross bike and, a, yep. and an ag bike, I guess. Um but he refused to get me the DT200. It was too powerful. The cows will get spooked. Um, <laughs> the cows. You know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll hurt myself and all that sort of stuff. But I think he realized I was going to hurt myself more jumping a piece of crap ag bike. So, uh, yeah, so I got an RMX250 and that was, that was definitely the start of what, had, what has happened up until this point. It was nice. An awesome bike. It's a motocross bike. It was the first motocross bike I'd had. Technically, it's a trail bike or enduro, but for me, it was just this monumental step up in quality. Yeah. And 
I could jump, I could do what I wanted, I could ride on the road as well, and I had a light. So it, it kind of had everything you know, yeah. at, at that point in my life. So no, nice. that was awesome. I think I must have been about 16 or 17 when I bought that. Yeah, right. Funny, funny story, actually, DT175 is the first bike that I was meant to have. Oh. I was meant to have. <laughs> my father okay. my father got this thing from one, someone he worked worked with. I don't know if he got it for nothing or he got it very cheap. It didn't run, so he brought it home. He was going to get it running. We are going to try and get it all you know, up up to spec and, and running good, and I was going to learn to ride on that bike. I might have been 12 or 13 at the time. You know, It was yeah. going to be a, a father-son thing. Um, lo and behold, it never actually ran properly. I think the last time I saw it was he was riding it up the road and he was on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's, he's okay. A, I think a fuel line had split or something like that. It had backfired out the carby, uh, spat fuel all over his leg, and yeah, back backfired, caught, torched his leg. So he's he pretty. I think he yeah he ended up. Like pretty much skidding it down the road, uh, yeah. yeah. Put put the fire out and left it there. <laughs> That's where it stayed. It's like, oh, fuck wow. this thing. We don't need this yet. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so that was the first bike that I never had. <laughs> the first bike <laughs> I never had. I love that. That's a good yeah. story. Yeah, I could, I'll, I'll never, I'll never, had. I'll never forget that side. Him riding away, left side of him on fire, <laughs> and he's just, he's just pitched the thing down the road. Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, the DT175 in its element is a good bike if you want an ag bike that doesn't burn you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than burning you and can't handle jumping, it's not that great. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing you skipped it then. Yeah, I think so. So what, what was your first bike then? Oh, my first bike. The first one I bought myself, actually, my first bike, and this is now... I've always been one of those people. That I need to. I need to go back here. I've always been one of the people that have always wanted something but never actually got it until I could get it for myself, um, which is fine yeah. because it teaches you a lot of financial responsibility, right? Yeah. It doesn't. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm still not very responsible, but um, <laughs> so it was actually a 2005 CR250. Oh. That was okay. I bought that brand new. I was actually going in to get like a, a YZ two fifty, um, yeah, se- right. second hand thing, and it just worked out finance wise. It was easier for me to get a brand new bike, and and okay. I justified it to myself at the time. It's a, it's an extra three thousand dollars, but I know the history of the bike because it's all mine. Yeah. Right. So and as far as deposit and everything that you needed to put on a brand new bike as opposed to a second hand bike was a lot less. So I'm like, all right, let's do yeah. that one. It's brand new. Yeah. I pay less initially for it. I paid heaps more in the end for it. Um, but yeah. Good old finance, eh? Yep. Yep. Um, I've, I've never financed the bike. Uh, I, I'm I'm with you on what you just said then. I, I'm i the same. I want a lot of things, but I don't get it until I, you know, I can afford it. And yeah. that's what I, I, I've never fallen into the trap of finance. Um, I, look, the... The few times I've done it, have the last one was the worst, and that was my road bike. That was my victory. I had a victory Vegas eight, oh. which was an amazing bike. I absolutely loved it. Um, you get off, you get off a Harley and get onto one of those, and a Harley Davidson feels like it's made out of Lego. <laughs> oh no! Um, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
But oh, okay. yeah, I absolutely loved it. But that thing, that thing nearly crippled me. So, and and not not in a in a like come off the bike and hurt yourself kind of yeah. way financially. That was that was bad. That was a bad choice. Um, oh, yeah. So, thankfully, the, the pit... oh well. Yeah, that's is... it. But it's an educational podcast now. That's um, it. Don't do it. Read, finance, read the contract terms. And, finance, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. If you can't afford oh, it, I... just spend some time, save the money up, and, and buy it yourself. Because I could have done that and had it. You know, it might have taken me another twelve months, but I would have had it. You know yeah. what I mean? Instead of instead of paying it off for five years, almost almost twice over. So. Bloody hell! Yeah. Oh then, well, let's let's not bring this down. Yeah, let's not bring yeah, the podcast that's a mad, down, mate. That's a mad down. I could see a tear welling yeah, up there in the corner of your down. eye, mate. Yeah, but the um <laughs> the CR250 was a great bike. I fouled a lot of yeah. plugs on that because I was not a very good rider. Um, there was a lot of putting it around, and and rightly so. Anyone that's ridden like the CRs of that era, like, they were an animal. Yeah. That bike was an absolute animal, and a 250 was ridiculous. Um. I was I, I was either putting it around or I was a scarf in the wind off the back of it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm not a, I'm not a light guy. I've never really been like a, a, a light guy. At that time, I might have been like 90, 95 kilos. Yeah, yeah. They they are they were a powerful bike. I remember that 05 actually. I it's kind of funny. I don't know if it's just me or if it's other people, but I found as a Yamaha or Suzuki rider at the time. The feeling of me sitting on a bike and I was coming from Yamaha and my friends had the Hondas and I jumped on their Hondas for a ride and it felt so foreign to me. The handlebars, foot pegs and seat, that combo just, I never got the feel of sitting on it, which kind of sounds stupid and it sounds a bit strange, but yeah, I, I never gelled with it, but the power really did impress me on on a honda um, yeah that motor definitely kicked ass so yeah I, I wish i could have had that motor in my yamaha at the time yeah that was that were an absolute animal yeah but yeah for me for a first bike you know what i mean and i was sort of early 20s i guess um early to mid 20s which wasn't probably wasn't the you know like when you when most people start riding motorbikes and whatever else and and most of the people are going to have a story similar to yours you know what i mean like they started at a young age where i yeah. always wanted to but i didn't get to until i bought the thing so yeah. when i finally bought it i was yeah early to mid-20s and um and learning to ride then yeah that's that is tough actually yeah. as a as a late bloomer to learn to ride by then i mean yeah i'm kind of the same as in like if i was to talk now to riders uh, let's say motocross races or freestyle riders or whatever um they probably grew up racing whereas i never grew up racing yeah i was on a farm i was chasing cows i was fencing i was doing whatever i was carrying irrigation pipes on my dt175 with irrigation pipes on my shoulder and so at least i had the basics of riding a bike but i i couldn't get an actual motocross bike until i left home so i think i was 18 when i went to university and that's when i bought my rm250 the actual motocross bike which i started freestyle on and yeah that was even that was another leap up from that rmx250 i was talking about before um 
and the skill that is involved in needing to jump properly to do freestyle motocross that that's just a world away from where i was so i can't imagine like and and i've been riding since i was four years old and you just started in your yeah early to mid 20s that that's a big deal that that would be a hell of a learning curve you would have had it was it was there was um and funnily enough there wasn't a great deal of injuries I, I did hurt myself. I had had some my all of my all of my stacks on my dirt bikes were funny when you yeah. look when you look back at them <laughs> because I could always put myself outside of myself after the after the fact and go that had to yeah. look that had to look hilarious. <laughs> like in insert yeah. Benny Hill music here that had to look yeah. absolutely hilarious. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, I guess to date, how many how many bikes how many dirt bikes have you owned? Um, good question. Uh, Pee Wee 50, DS80, DT175, RMX 250, RM250, uh, YZ 250F, YZ 250, 250, KTM 10, 12, 14, two KTMs in Germany, and a road bike. So I'm up to what? What am I up to? Is I that think 14? that's. I- I'm up to 14. I think that was two sets of hands. I think that's almost 19. Oh, was it two sets? <laughs> yeah. Oh, bloody. Am I up to nine? I think no. That's, I think that's 19. Oh, we're gonna have to, We're going to have to go back. We're going to have to we'll go have back to and listen to that later. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, we need to play back. See, this is the problem, me doing an interview this early in the morning. And yeah. What are we at now? Nearly 11 o'clock? That does sound bad. That does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I finally just rolled out of bed. Um yeah, okay. It's either 14 or 19. I can't remember if there was an extra hand in there. But uh, no, I've had a few. I, I, I didn't realize I'd had so many bikes, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them definitely came on once I became pro, let's say, kind of pro, where I wanted to do this for a living. Yeah. Um, where I didn't want to work a real life, uh, a real job and escape the real life, yeah. uh, is what I wanted to say. Um, then it was kind of every every two years I'd upgrade um, because you don't in doing freestyle motocross you don't want to have a piece of crap and I learned pretty early on um, as the world's biggest tight ass that you can't just keep running old machinery. Yep. And I mean, even being to the point of maybe my maintenance schedules was were also a little bit laxadaisy because. I didn't want to pay for another four liters of oil or something like that. I'm like, oh, maybe the the engine oil could go another ten hours or something like yeah. that. Like, I, I was pretty bad there at the start, um, but then I was having crashes because just because of bike maintenance issues. And I'm yeah. like, right, one generally, I'd say what I probably should be doing is every year changing a bike, but. I would just put a lot of effort into the maintenance now to get yeah. two years out of it because, and again, this is the, the tight ass part of me, the depreciation after one year versus depreciation after two years. I'm like, well, it's if probably I not more that much my, different. Yeah. It's probably not. Yeah. And then I was like, well, uh, I'll, I'll keep them for two. So yeah, once I turned pro, I guess in 04, 05 or something like that, 06, then it was every two years I upgraded to bikes and yeah, it was, they started coming on thick and fast by then. Yeah. Um, that, awesome. And actually now, the first time I've ever had two bikes at the same time 
is living here in Germany, which is like a, a kind of a cool goal. Like it's never even been a goal. It was never a goal of mine to have two bikes identical side by side. But um, what I found when I was younger, learning to do what I'm doing, learning the tricks and doing shows and everything like that, I would ride a lot of motocross tracks. I never raced, but I rode a lot of motocross tracks. I rode a lot of free riding. And then I would ride a lot of freestyle motocross specific training on the ramps. And that is two very different things, riding a track and riding the ramp. So I was trying to do too much on one machine. Yeah. And that was also an issue, I guess. I remember I did a tour in Australia. Was We drove from Brisbane to WA brisbane to perth but we did about seven shows for the monster trucks the reason i said yes to doing that show was uh my mate matt Schubring, um who's one of the most naturally gifted riders on a dirt bike that i've ever seen he he was like well if we do this trip let's just do it as a camping trip we'll we'll ride our shows on saturday night in whatever town we're in like wayala to wherever the next one was Kalgoorlie and anywhere else in between Um, but throughout the week so all we did and this is back in 2013 we just went through Google Maps on satellite view and just zooming in and watching the entire coastline that southern coastline and the WA coastline looking for sand dunes so we're like okay show on Saturday then on Sunday we pin it to the closest sand dune from here it could be a thousand kilometers away but we're going to go to that sand dune and just ride for four or five days and then we'll go to the next show. Um, after seven weeks of doing that, riding fifth gear in the sand dunes, just destroying the engine, the gears, the chain, sprockets, everything. Yeah, yep. Sand everywhere. By the time, sand everywhere, wrecking the lot. We got to the very last show. Oh, what's it called? Murray Bridge, I think it is. Right in, in South Oz, got to that show. I went to do a backflip, and my I I was hitting like a false neutral on the run up, like it just oh. wasn't in gear properly. I'm like, oh no! And I did one backflip, and I was just revving the bike to to get that rotation around. And I was like, nah, I'm done. I can't even do tonight's show. Um, this is. I think <laughs> I think in the end, I did do the show. I I might have convinced myself that I fixed what I thought was the problem at the time. Like we did a full <laughs> rebuild. Um, we did a rebuild in the car park of the motel. Um, we thought that fixed it, but actually it was a much deeper problem. I found out later when I got home. Um, so I was very lucky to get through that. I didn't flip, I don't think, in the show. I think I just kind of did normal jumps where I could yeah. see the landing at yeah. all time. And if I had to eject, I could. Um, but that was when I realized running one bike for two very different reasons does not work. So right. when I got over here to Germany, um, yeah, it, it kind of just happened by accident, but actually I, I managed to pick up these two bikes v- for a very good price. And I just thought, well, I've already got the one sitting here. I'll turn that into my track bike, my motocross bike, and then I'll have my dedicated freestyle bike. And since I did that, my riding, my skill level on the bike, my trick level just went through the roof. Um, and, and I really wish I learned that lesson 
20 years earlier. Like yeah. I, I, there's a reason why the bikes were designed what for what they're for. And, yep. and I was trying to do too much on one. Um, but yeah, no, I've got two bikes sitting here right in front of me actually. And, uh, best thing I ever did. Nice. But out of out of all the bikes you've had, the the fourteen or nineteen or however many it's been, <laughs> which which one of those bikes was your favourite? It doesn't need to be because it was the best riding or whatever, whatever what, for whatever reason, most memorable moment on it. Which is your favourite and why? That's a very tough question. That's a very tough one. Probably. I don't know. Like it's kind of funny. I'd I'd almost say childhood memories would probably be the key aspect here. So I'm either going to say my DS80 or the RMX250 because those two bikes really changed the direction of where my life went. Yeah. Um, the DS80 was all about fun. I was a kid, and yep. it had a bit of power, and I could. That's when I started to to enjoy jumping. But the RMX250 kind of opened up all these doors that I didn't know existed. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really fun bike. And actually, I just saw, um, maybe it was a few months ago, ADB Magazine did a, a big, I think it was maybe a long-term test or a long-term rebuild of the 98 RMX250. Right. Oh, that is my bike. And they completely rebuilt this thing over, I think it was a one-year period. So it was just really cool to see other people had that same feeling for that same bike yeah and at the time i would never have thought that was a special bike and it probably is not a special bike but i did find something for me personally yeah nice it's quite special awesome so so of all of of or if i can get words out of my mouth if you could have any one of those bikes back which one would it be oh well, actually, the DS80, my uncle bought that, um, and he did offer for me to buy it back like 10 years ago, but I was not in that frame of mind yeah. of thinking to get bikes back. I was like, why would I want that? Like, It was never an, even a thought. Now I'm kicking myself because obviously he would have sold it uh, to somebody else. Um, Probably that one purely because I can't have it back now. Yeah, it's, 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 um, because it's, it's, I had the opportunity and I didn't even think about the opportunity. Yeah, I, yeah, probably the DS eighty. Yeah. That's um, that's a bit of a bit of a sad story for one, and and a little bit crazy because yeah, you're saying it was probably ten years ago or so. That's about the time when you'd see you know like all the MTV shows and whatever else they go and visit you know like Cribs or something like that. You'd visit Carrie Hart's house and you're looking at all yeah. these different bikes in his lounge room. You know what I mean? Like you know all mounted up on the wall or something like that. So that's one of those things that you could have had at that time for yourself to to sort of like just have somewhere and look back at. You know like if if you had like a you built yourself a massive house and and yeah just had like this room just to, to your motocross and whatever else, and that was one of the things you could have in there. Just Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, of course, Kerry Hart's an absolute legend, and, and I've never, I will never, never have and never will come close to what he's achieved, but you're right. It's, it is, yeah, it would have been awesome to have that just to look back on, but I've never been, I've never had that mentality. Yeah. Um, until now until i'm not writing that i i never kept photos i never thought about 
really, you know, like I saved everything on hard drives, but all those hard drives would have died 10 years ago. I remember one of my computers is, I left, I took it to a shop and I just never went to go get it back. That computer had probably my first 20 years of any, any sort of photos, any documents were on that. And it was just such a crap computer. I didn't even, I was like, oh, it costs more than just to fix one little thing than what the entire thing is worth. So I was like, keep it. I, I don't want it. And now, yeah, now that it's all done, it's dusted. I look back and I don't have those things to, yeah. To look to back on, yeah. Of, to look back on it. And, it. and it does suck. And I really am kicking my own backside. Um, yeah all these years later so yeah one of those I'm, things I'm keep, keep your photos kids sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no 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 it's it's something it's something i probably did work out like probably in the last maybe the last year or two that i was writing i didn't know my career was coming to an end when it did it was it only happened because of the crash but i i did realize that yeah i probably should start really backing up everything that i've got because yeah. I've always had a bad memory, but I've realized how bad it is now. And so like my wife remembers everything, which is maybe a good thing sometimes and also maybe a bad thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I need her to kind of remind me of even places we've been, things we've done. Yeah. And uh, it's a bit of a shame, right? Like I wish, I just wish I had those photos or those bikes or, or the helmets or whatever it might yeah. be um, of those cool times that have gone by. But hey, it is what it is. Yeah. So. That was something today, actually. I was looking, yeah, just scrolling through Instagram and looking at uh, Toby Price was doing a live video on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And I, I just clicked on it real quick. I thought, oh, we'll have a quick what, quick look. And he was, yeah, surrounded by all these Red Bull stuff and there's helmets everywhere. I'm like, oh, how cool is that? I'd love to just have something like that where you could just have your helmets sort of stacked up around just a, like a little, just something, you know, like just a, a memento of that time. You can always yeah. look at that and go, well, that's what this is from. And Exactly. Yeah. You can, and I... I never thought about that either until later. And yeah, I think you can look at a helmet and you know exactly what happened when your head was inside that helmet. Yeah. There's, there's something about a helmet that, yeah, that kind of brings that memory, yeah. at least for me. And I guess for a lot of people, it does bring those memories out. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I've probably got one or two helmets. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not much. Nice. <laughs> yeah. well, give me a second, just in the name of true professionalism here, I've committed the cardinal sin cardinal podcasting oh. sin of leaving my air conditioner running it's oh, been doing my head dear. in for a while <laughs> you can hear it and i cannot that's yeah. right i can hear it and i'm pretty sure that when i speak my recording software can hear it so i'm gonna go turn it off and then i'll be back it's all about professionalism that's folks. it absolutely <laughs> all right and we're back Sorry about that. That's, oh, um, oh you, you sound so much better. Oh, I, can't <laughs> <tell>. <laughs> I can't tell. It's one of those things that it sits right in the, 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 the corner of your mind. You're just like, oh, I, can, I can hear that. And we've yeah. gone off on this thing now. We've got to kind of finish that before I get there. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, so. I, I know what you mean. I've, I've, I've committed the same sins before in voiceover work, in podcasts, in all yeah. sorts of things. And you're just like, Oh, you idiot! You've got to <laughs> just delete everything and start again. <laughs> yeah. So, hopefully, it sounds okay, but it should sound a lot better from now on. So, um, all right, we'll jump back into it. So, your freestyle. We'll jump into your freestyle motocross. Like, 
like we haven't already. Um, at what age did like FMX enter your life? Uh, uh, probably as soon as the Krusty Demons 1 video came out. So what was that, 95, 96, something, something around then? Um, so how old would I have been? 20? No. 10. <laughs> wow. 11, 12, yeah. 11, 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, that's kind of, I, I basically just followed Krusty Demons. I, I loved racing. I always wanted to race, but because of the dairy farm, um, you know, cows don't milk themselves yeah. morning and night. So dad refused to, to take me racing. Uh, he always said I can do it when I'm old enough that I can drive myself there and I can pay for my own bikes. And then Krusty came along and that was something that I could relate to because they were just riding wherever they wanted to ride. And I had, I think it was like 550 acres we had on the farm. So I had a tractor with a blade, very basic, not exactly your uh, earth moving machinery, but I had the tractor and I could build small jumps. So that was kind of it for me, 95, 96. And so I was just building little jumps and, and uh, I just followed Krusty's ever since. And, and it kind of, you know, like I, then I was watching the world championships. Um, and I think that started in 2001. And so I was watching that. I was watching IFMA. I was watching X Games. And I was doing those tricks at home, albeit on a very much smaller scale on a much crappier bike. But I could do these tricks over the smallest of jumps. And I thought, well, if I actually had a half decent bike, and if I actually had a half decent size jump that I wasn't scared to jump, maybe I could do this. And uh, yeah, I, I went and watched a competition on the Gold Coast. And um, yeah, from then on, I was like, oh, I'll be back there next year in six months' time. The next one was on and bought a, bought a bike specifically just for that comp. I wanted a, a YZ250. I was going to upgrade from this just bucket of bolts, old Suzuki. Yep. And uh, all the YZ250 two-strokes were sold out and the four-stroke had only just been created at that point. It was the 04 YZ250F. Nobody was riding freestyle on that. I think only two other riders in Australia had one. And, um, yeah, it was definitely a weird thing to turn up. And I guess I rode that bike for two weeks before this comp. And uh, it was I think it was by pure luck that I even survived. I, I didn't, I, I got speed checks behind the guys to make yeah. sure I had the right speed to jump the jump. But really I didn't have a, a good feeling for that four stroke at all. There, um, um, it's a lot of people wouldn't realize, but there's such a difference between riding the two stroke, like between riding a two stroke and a four stroke. Like your two strokes don't have, they have a very small degree of like engine braking. Where a four-stroke, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you crack off that throttle and they're pulling you up as quick as they oh, sort yeah. of got you going. Where a two-stroke doesn't yeah. have that. So you can kind of roll the throttle on, especially coming up the lip of a jump or something like that, roll that throttle on, and you can kind of snap off it. You know, like, oh, I've got a little bit more pace. You can kind of snap off it a little bit. But if you exactly. do that if you do that with a four-stroke, you're, you're going over. You're doing front flips. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're, you're out of there. Yeah. And that was, that was something that took me a, a little while to learn as well. Um, yeah. What I had, what I did, was to counteract that engine braking on the jump on taking off so what i would find is i would jump and the front end would dip anyway the the front wheel would drop 
and it was too difficult to try and get in a position to do a trick because moving around the bike is all about your balance between the rider and the bike and that center point to you know to have the control of the bike and and if you jump and the front end dips straight away you can't do anything so i was just turning the the idle up i would just have my idle so high that it kind of negated that engine braking when you let the throttle off what i really should have done that was purely because i didn't know the technique for the bike what i should have done was probably come in with a slower run-up speed and keep the gas on all the way all through the, way the jump. Yep. And yeah, I mean that—that's being young. That's not knowing the technique, and that's taking time to learn those things. But yeah, I—I uh, yeah, I think in this day and age, four strokes—they've certainly come along an incredibly long way from when I jumped on that one way back then. But it does still exist. Um, and and it's funny now. Like at the time, everybody was laughing at me because I had this four stroke in a freestyle competition. So everyone's like, oh, you're riding a bloody John Deere tractor and yeah. all that, that sort was, of it stuff. It was a big no-no, wasn't it, for a long time? Four oh, strokes were no good. Exactly. Huge no-no. Switch the tables now. Everybody's on a four stroke. I'm the dinosaur because I still, I went back to my two stroke. I only did one, yeah. year, one year or two years on the four stroke. I went back to the twos. I've stayed on twos. And I'm the odd one out again yeah. <laughs> because I love my two-stroke. I'm, so, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of two-strokes myself. The um, yeah. the sound, the smell, you know what I mean? Like there's there's nothing like it. Exactly. The ease of use yeah. on a two-stroke. Um, okay, I'm not the most mechanically-minded guy in the world, but if I had to, I could rebuild that bike. There's no way in the world I'm rebuilding a four-stroke. I was, yeah, I've, I've been known to replace pistons in my, in my kitchen. Oh, nice! I um, thankfully, I have a very understanding wife. She was cool. With, <laughs> she was cool with that. But yeah. Mate, you, yeah. you've done well if you've got away with yeah. that. Yeah. So oh, yeah, no, that, that's impressive. No, I, I just, for me, the two-stroke is so much easier. Everything about a two-stroke is easier. Um, in saying that, when I so I did a lot of testing as well for magazines. So I would have to go test all the brand new 250Fs coming out and, and say, uh, you know, we, we rode motocross tracks. I remember one time we, we did a motocross track in northern New South Wales somewhere and that was awesome. And then they said, oh, there's a ramp over the back. Can you go jump all these bikes on the ramp? They're brand new. They've got stock suspension. They all react completely differently and I'm going to go jump this ramp onto a really gnarly looking down ramp, which it was scary. Um, but I did do it. I managed to, I managed to do it and survive that one as well. But yeah, it was, it was just so different to see how the four strokes reacted, especially coming from you, especially not having the engine work done on them, but coming to nowadays, yeah, so much has changed with them that everybody's on them. Um, I guess everybody's taken that time to work out what needs to change from stock yep. to make them work properly. And actually, I enjoyed them. I, I do enjoy jumping them. All of my tricks, when I jumped onto a four-stroke, every single one of my tricks looked better. Really? Every single one of my tricks felt better. Right. Because... 
the four stroke is heavier in the air more stable it it was more stable yeah. yeah and so i was moving around the bike so much better than i'd ever done before and and it was so weird to think i was doing better whips i could whip the bike out right bigger more upside down more sideways than i'd ever done before and i think that's because of that gyro effect of the four stroke engine i don't know it was just it did work better for me but the biggest problem i had with the four stroke was i couldn't land on the landing a 450 yeah, yeah. you you have to go so slow into the <laughs> ramp you're in second gear and it's for me it felt like i was just ticking over idle like like not even yeah not yeah. even giving not even twisting the throttle and i would over jump 75 yeah. feet every time and yeah i was like no nah, i i can't live my life on this so go back to the two stroke and yeah. uh, that's that's what i did but yeah it is it is kind of funny that the four stroke there there is always a plus and a minus you know with, with yeah. those kind of bikes i remember uh, uh, we went to um i think it was lock marie or something like something like that it was called um i can't even remember where it is it was out past oberon uh, it's apparently it's like a, a bit of a bit of a paradise you know what i mean and we went out there. I'd never heard of it. I'd never been there before. And one of my mates had just bought a brand new RMZ 450. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, it was a really nice bike. You got all the nice dress-up bits for it. Um, a four-speed, which really blew me away. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't need any more. They, 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 <laughs> they, they, like, they were a dedicated track bike, you know what I mean? Like They were yeah. so fast. But um, I was, I'd actually swapped my CR250 for a KTM SX125. And I rode oh. so much better on that SX125. For me, it was more like back in my BMX days. Like it was lighter. I could throw it around more. Um, I could throw it into all corners. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, manageable power. You know, I, I was using all of the, the the rev range rather than kind of half of it, and then just holding on for the rest. Um, so I was, yeah, I got off that bike and, and I jumped onto this RMZ450, and yeah, come up to one jump and over jumped the hell out of it. Because I was riding it like my, like my KTM, I was just into it yeah. all the way up the face. I just twisted the throttle in. I jumped so high. I'm like, oh no, this is not going to end well. But it also gave me so much more time in the air to sort of move the bike around to where it was going to be a comfortable enough landing for me to not absolutely eat shit. So yeah, I think I flat landed that by a good ten meters. Um, but it gave me enough time to sort of bring the rear wheel down and and sort of yeah just soak up soak up the uh, the landing. But oh yeah. yeah, I'd never I'd never been that high. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> jumped that far. I'm like I fucked up bad there. But um, yeah, yeah it's like so it. so easy to do. Like just jumping straight off at like an SX125 onto an RMZ450 and riding it the same. That's another that's another lesson for your kids. Doesn't work. Yeah, that's <laughs> they are worlds apart. Those yeah. two bikes are just worlds apart yeah yeah um so when um where, where was it that you were living at the time and did you have your own compound set up there like you said you had your your, your um machine out there but um yeah yeah so that was that was in tyro um i don't know if you know queensland much but uh, not really if you drive not. two two and a half hours north of brisbane um mum well, where mum is, mum and dad, they the farms on the left hand side of the highway. You you can't miss it. 
if you drive, yeah, heading up towards Mariborough, past Gympie, towards Mariborough, little tiny town called Tyra, you'll still see the jumps on the side of the highway. And uh, yeah, we, we don't have much of the farm left anymore. Uh, most of it's been sold off, unfortunately, but uh, that's the way farming goes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just got a few cows on there eating grass and, and destroying my jumps. But uh, it was, I was really, I was really, really lucky to have that place. Um, I remember I, I did build my, my first real freestyle setup. It was about two kilometers away from the house um, because I, I never wanted anyone to see me when I was jumping and when I was learning and, yeah. and trying to work out. Like I look back now, that was so fucking dumb um, purely from a safety standpoint. Like I rode on my own. Um, I didn't really exactly have the safety equipment. I did have a helmet. That was about as far as yeah. safety went at the time. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I built a ramp from a magazine, um, Freerider MX wow, magazine. Yeah. They, they, I think it was like 2001, a guy called Brooksy, and he's still on the Nitro Circus tour. He still does all their ramps. And he made the first ramp plans. And they published them on a two-page spread. And I had that magazine in dad's shed. Oh, it must have been for a few months. And so I made this ramp and it was so much bigger than I could have imagined. And I, and I tacked it up, just purely the, the height, the length and the radius. I tacked it all up. My dad came out into the shed and he looked at me like, bloody hell, geez, you're <laughs> going to go to the moon on that bloody thing. Hey? That's too steep. So in his infinite wisdom and he probably thought he was doing the right thing at the time he's like let's just you know lift the belly up a bit so it's not as steep yeah that was in hindsight that was the worst thing we could have done because it completely changed the entire radius of this jump anyway i built it i dragged it out there with the tractor um put it in place and i had no idea what speed i had to hit this thing and again I think it was just pure luck that I landed on the, the downside. Yeah. If I'd over jumped or whatever, it would have been an absolute disaster, but I managed to do it. But I did have one crash out there after a few years of riding and uh, I got my legs stuck on the handlebars. I went to do a trick where you put both feet through the handlebars. You then throw your legs around, kind of take your hands off. And it's, it's a very technical trick called that, a McMetz. Yeah. And, right. uh, yeah, made by Mike Metzger, and I tried it. My first time I tried it, and it was the last time I tried it. My right <laughs> leg came around. I got my leg, my right leg on the foot peg. My left leg was still up on the clutch, and that's how I landed. Oh. I broke my left wrist, my right shoulder, and a couple of ribs laying in the dirt, trying to get a breath in, you know, when you've broken your ribs. That sucked. And I was like, I'm out here on my own, and I can't breathe. And I managed to pick myself up after a while. and. Uh, snap the handlebars so i had to like pull the the throttle was just the throttle was just held together by yeah. the cable that you know there was nothing else holding it. so i had to kind of pull it out to get the car yeah exactly to, to get the throttle cable to move inside the carburetor so i had to like pull pull the throttle away get a bit of speed and i rode home and yeah got got back home and dad's just what the fuck are you doing <laughs> so you know like <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I, I ended up, um, I built my next compound right next to mum's 
kitchen. So that's why it's right next to the highway, next to the house. Mum could look out the kitchen window. If I'd crashed, she had the best view of it. So she could call an ambulance if needed. And uh, yeah, that's... How, how, many again, times, that's what... how many times did that happen? I <laughs> never needed the ambulance. No? I never... No, we did have a helicopter once for one of my friends. He came and had a huge crash and he was he was sleeping for, oof, I don't know, five, ten minutes. Like it was, yeah, it was a pretty wow. bad one. Um, so we had the helicopter there and it's only a small town. So everybody, of course, thought it was me. Yeah. So everybody ran down because you don't often have a helicopter land in the middle of town. <laughs> um, no, I, I was fine. I was, my mate was fine, but he definitely... It was a bit slower after that. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely slowed him yeah. up a bit. But uh, no, I never had an ambulance at home. I probably have only been in an ambulance maybe only twice. Right. Yeah, probably only twice. Normally I would – I generally I walked everything off. Whatever was broken, I would still walk off or I'd get somebody to pick me up and stick me in the car and drive to the hospital. I, I'd – I never really wanted to use an ambulance. I'd avoid them if I could. Yeah. So, yeah. But actually, I remember. I remember one time, back it was it was only about a year before I left Australia, actually. And there was a young rider, Tyrone Jilks. He he passed away. He was going for the world record, actually. And the last time I saw him, I crashed. I broke my ankle, and him and another guy came home, and they just picked me up on the back of the landing. And I was like, oh, just stick me in the van. Put, so they put my bike in the back of the van. They put me in the driver's seat and uh, I just drove home and I just rang Rach. And I'm like, oh, uh, you better, you know, just make a sandwich or something. I'm a bit hungry. Um, I'll come <laughs> home. Let's grab a bit of, you know, just have the sandwich ready to go. Grab my laptop and uh, we'll head to the hospital. I've, I've definitely broken my ankle here. And, uh, yeah, so... But yeah, you know, it was it was definitely planned. I always planned my hospital trips. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Take a packed lunch with you and everything. How good's that? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I knew I was going to be there for a while, and I probably hadn't eaten for about four or five hours at that point. I was like, oh, just make a sandbar. Let's get this done. <laughs> Actually, another one. Probably this is funny. Maybe one. Maybe not funny. But one of the worst injuries, recurring injuries, I've had over my time. I jumped maybe the smallest jump I'd ever jumped in my life. This promoter, I drove to Cairns, which was two, two days driving to get there. And I took my ramp with me and they gave me a pile of dirt that looked like an, an anthill. Like the, it wasn't even one bike length to land on. Oh. And so we had a pretty heated argument before I even tried to jump. I'm like, this is just crap. Like I, you know. In the end, I was young, and so I and I drove two days to get there, and I felt like I needed to do it to to earn my money to get the fuel money to drive home, sort of thing. First jump, I went as slow as I possibly could, and I still jumped past the landing. But of course, my front wheel landed like in the little, you know, the rut that their tractor had made when they tried to make this jump. So yeah. it spat me off, broke my ankle. I rang him up. He just abused me like I was just you piece of shit blah 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 just going off like whoa hang on I've just crashed trying to jump this damn thing for you but okay I'm 
yeah, it is my fault. So I put my boot back on. I tried to jump the second time. As I was going up the ramp, I felt the click in my ankle. Oh, oh no. I did manage. I, luckily, I landed the second jump, but I did land with my foot off the foot peg. I just couldn't handle it. I drove straight to the hospital. They're like, oh, yeah, it's it's broken. Um, it's, it's kind of stable. It'll be all right sort of thing. And uh, yeah, so then I just jumped back in the car and drove two days home with my foot up on the dash of my, what did I have? I think it was like a V, I had a VT Commodore with the trailer on the back. So I just had my foot up on the dash, driving for two just days. Cruising. So I didn't get the, <laughs> yeah, because you didn't want to get the, the swelling, yeah. the swelling to go into the foot, like two days of swelling would have sucked. So yeah, it was yeah, I was looking good driving down the highway. It's <laughs> puffy, so. puffy foot in the air. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, good, good old days. <laughs> Unreal. So, what what was it uh, at that time that that got well, about FMX? It got its hooks into you. What what was it that sort of really made you go, "This is what I'm doing"? Um, I mean, I, the hooks were already in. The hooks were always in as a kid. To to do it as a job, or not? A, I never thought of it as a job, but I thought of it as a way not to work yeah that was that's how i saw freestyle motocross for me and i i did that during university so um i went to uni for six and a half years in the end i had to uh defer a couple of semesters because of a broken back one time shoulder rico another time so i'd have to go back home and stay with mum for a couple of months i had to defer a semester here or there um but what i was i i I still think I was the smartest bloke at university. I put all of my, I chose every subject, every semester, purely on the days that those subjects were on. And I managed to get a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or a Wednesday and Thursday. I think except for one semester. So let's say for six years, I had a five-day weekend every every semester. So I had a, a house in Brisbane. and. Um, so I'd, I'd stay there for two days, I'd do my uni, and then I'd drive back up to mum's place and I'd ride my bike. And um, so I was just training and training and training. And uh, once I finally finished um, the business degree that I did, I, I did another one. I did a remedial therapies diploma because I wanted to be a physio first. Um, and then I realised that my body couldn't handle standing all day. So then I thought, oh, who, who sits down in air conditioning? And I... Ah, business people. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll, and that was it. That's the only reason yep. I decided to do a business degree in management and marketing. And, um, and I only chose marketing because the, the very first lecturer, he's like, marketing is the easiest part of business. Like, all you got to do is come up with a stupid idea and sell it to someone. And um, that's your job. I was like, oh, I, I could do that. Yeah, sounds easy. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds easy. So that's the only reason I chose it. But I finished uni. And I thought, I've lived like a complete bum uh, for six and a half years, you know, just getting by on the spaghetti on toast diet and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, I'm relatively okay at freestyle motocross. Imagine if I actually put one year into this and let's just see if something happens. And, um, and just before, actually, yeah, it was just before I finished that last semester, I had my first ever show overseas. I went to China. My wife 
she basically dragged me to get my passport. I didn't want to get a passport. I, I never wanted to travel. I never had, you know, it was never an issue for me to stay in Australia. I, I was just a small town country kid. And, and I guess I was just also nervous. I didn't want to go to China and not know what bike was there waiting for me, not know what ramp they'd give you. So there was probably a few things, but I went and did that show in China for 10 days couldn't send my last assignment because all the keys on the keyboard were in Chinese over there. So I had to <laughs> call the, the university and say that you'll have to wait until I get home. And, and I got home and I sent it in and I got my best marks I'd ever gotten. I was only at uni for seven weeks out of 13 and I'd got a high distinction and a couple of distinctions. I was like, I didn't even try. Like I just <laughs> checked out. I completely checked out on that last year. And I was like, all right, whatever. I thought, if I can live like this, I'm going to give freestyle motocross one year and see what happens. And I picked up a few shows, enough shows. I got sponsored by Fox. And that was a big, that was a big mental change. Yeah. When a company like Fox sponsors you directly from the guys in, in the warehouse down there in Melbourne. And there was nothing special about me. I, don't, I still, to this day, do not know why they sponsored me other than the fact that I probably, because I was writing for Freerider magazine, maybe that's the only reason. Um, I never did reviews on their products. I, I didn't do anything like that, but I was writing. And, but that, that change of having... And, and it's kind of strange. It, it's weird to think that it took somebody else to acknowledge what I was doing for me to think that I could do it, but it did. Yep. And I was like, Oh, if, if this company thinks I can do it, well, yeah, I should probably give it a, a yeah, that, crack. that validation going to. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember every single sponsor I had because every time that sponsor came on, you're like, Oh yeah. Like, I must be doing something right. Okay, I'll I'll keep pushing, and and that's something that I'm trying to do now. Like with talking with riders and talking with brands, and maybe brands don't think that it's that important. Maybe they're purely doing it because they let's say now you need an influencer or something like that. Yep. The still that psychological thing for the, the person receiving the sponsorship, as little as it may be, it makes a huge difference, I think. So, yeah, um, yeah it was, that was probably one of the bigger turning points was, was receiving that Fox sponsorship. And, um, yeah, I kind of kept with it from then on. Nice. Who were, who were some of the people you look up to as you were sort of coming up into, into FMX? Um, kind of the normal, you know, like everybody, yeah, yeah, cross everybody, anybody that was in a crusty demons video for sure. Um, So the the crash master, Seth Enslow. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Um, all of those guys, Seth, Travis Pastrana, Mike Metzger, Kerry Hart, Brian Deegan, all, all the big names. Um, even all the, 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 the smaller names, like a lot of the Australian writers were, were and still are some of the best riders in the world like so matt shubring i mentioned yep. before uh robbie madison and 
like all those guys, Bilko and Sinks, and there's there's so many, so many good riders, and I really do look up to all of them because everybody comes with their own style, their own skill set, and uh, yeah, it, it is cool to see. So I I guess I am a fan almost as much as I am a rider, probably more. Um, I am a fan of the sport first. Yeah, um, I love the sport, and 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 I. I still get goosebumps watching Kerry Hart's first backflip. Like I'll watch it and I'm, I'll get goosebumps on my arms and like, I've yeah. got them now just thinking about it. Like, yeah. it, like these monumental moments that defined my life when I was younger. Um, it's, it is pretty cool. It's cool to have met all of those guys as well. I remember I, I interviewed Kerry uh, for free ride. It must've been like pink did a pink did a concert tour. And so Kerry Hart came yep. to Australia. They generally, he, they generally always travel together, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And this one year, they, I think they brought in Showtime FMX to do the shows and Kerry Hart jumped in with those guys. And I must have only met him for about five or ten minutes. Um, but I was like, you know, it's just, it was cool to meet him. But sometimes he was good. But I guess the old saying goes, "Don't meet your heroes." Yeah, right. Some okay. some, some of them are that great. Yeah, <laughs> there's you know to be a freestyle rider that you've got to have a very different mentality. I think sometimes yeah. so some of them can disappoint you. But uh, no, Kerry was awesome. He was just as you'd expect. <laughs> but I guess he was also putting on the show as well. That's like, right. He yeah. was at a show. He's getting interviewed. You you put on that face. Yeah. Actually, speaking of that, the first time I really saw that was I did a show in Melbourne and St Kilda. I think it was called Planet X. It must have been 2007. And me and a really good friend of mine, Pete Anderson, we were like the amateurs. We'd, I think we must have got first and second or something in the amateur group yeah. up on the Gold Coast. And the, the deal was whoever got first and second got to go ride Planet X Oh no, I'm, I'm mixing two complete stories up here. Doesn't matter. It happened, it happened a couple of months later, but because of that, we got invited. So it doesn't yeah. matter. But um, yeah, we we went down to Planet X, and Brian Deegan flew in from America. Now the event didn't happen purely because it was on a beach. It was 100 kilometer per hour winds. There was no way in the world that show was going to happen. But every rider there had a name whether they're australian or brian deegan and then there was me and pete and we were like the two goofy guys yeah. in the back like, holy shit you know we're here we are and deegan was just sitting there and he had some like ufc fighter or mma fighter as his security guard and and you know it was all the bros and all that sort of stuff and uh we just kind of walked up like hey nice to meet you uh we're supposed to be riding this thing with you, but you know, it didn't happen. And he was the nicest guy in the world. Just, yeah. we were just talking like we'd known him forever. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the wind. And so he's like, Oh, you know, I, I don't know if I can put on my best Brian D. So he's like, <laughs> oh, 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 wait, hang on. Before I do, I'm going to have to charge my phone here. It's about to, oh, no. about, to, about to die. Right. We're back on. We good before I before I get this <laughs> before I before I give my best Brian Deegan impersonation. Oh yeah, you know, like oh, 
That was a good start. It was a good start. I'm going to have to work into <laughs> this one. No, well, because we were we were talking about the wind, and he's like, you know, back home, he bought a new place, and he said there was a this really strong wind that came through the valley, so he had to turn his jumps around to make sure it was in the right place, and and these are the things that we have to think about when yep. we're training at home. So we're like, oh, he's just like us. He's he's human. Yeah. He doesn't like wind, just like we don't like yep. wind. And all that sort of stuff. And as we were talking, a video camera came over just before it even got in front of him. The red light wasn't even on. And just like that, he went from a normal dude to yeah. Brian Deegan, the Dark Lord of Freestyle Motocross. Yeah. Here we are. We're in St. Kilda. We're about to throw down. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, holy crap. Just that flip is the not switch. the same person yeah. I was talking to. <laughs> and as soon as he finished that interview, straight back to oh yeah so um you know i've got this bike and i've got that bike and we built this oh okay <laughs> so that that is a complete switch that he he would put on and and that's what made him so so good for the sport of freestyle motocross yeah. he was a showman he knew how to be a showman um and that really was let's say those first five, 10 years of the sport yep. was led by Brian Deegan, the metal militia, metal militia the dark side, yeah. you know, the, the bad guys. And then you've got Travis Pastrana, the good guy. And Nate, the Nate Adams good. and yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the, the clean cut American kids. And yeah. 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 So it was really interesting to see that right in front of me. And, and I was, like I said, I, we were fresh faced. We, we were just riding our bikes, me and my friend Pete. We were like, this is just fucking cool. Like, here we are. And, yeah, I, I did learn something that day that because I'm I'm naturally a very shy person. I don't like talking, even though I've been talking this whole time. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. It's something I've really had to learn to do over the last 20 years. And, and even from that point, that was 2007, I probably still didn't get it until I moved to Europe and saw how the European crowds really reacted to the showman side of things. If I was to be a showman in Australia, like it doesn't work because in Australia we can see through the bullshit. Yeah. Um, but if an American did it, you're like, well, he's just American. <laughs> but if an Aussie did it, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, let's stop being a wanker. Yeah, yeah stop, stop um, putting it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But then when I came to Europe, I, I really noticed that with the Spanish guys, like they are true showmen. There's a guy, Edgar Torrenteras. I don't know if you know the name. He was in the first or maybe the second Krusty video. He's still riding today. Like wow. he must be a hundred years old, but he's killing it. He's got the best style in the world. Yep. But the reason he is still going is he is this showman. He just, you can't beat him. He gets booked for every show. He's paid probably double, triple the price I'm paid for, and I'm doing bigger tricks than him. But he's the showman, and that's what the crowd come to see. And they, they'll go home just like that dude was off his head. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's 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 um it's something I only probably learnt in the last few years of my yeah. career. So, so the times where you're, you're interviewing Carrie Hart and you're having a chat with Brian Deegan, what's the fanboy level like? Oh. Richter scale <laughs> off off the Richter, mate. No, it's it it's to be honest, it's not. It, it really isn't. Like 
Um, I don't think I've really had that feeling because by the time I've got to that point, I'm probably already so focused on what I need to do yeah. and probably shitting myself if there's a bad setup or something or, you know, whatever it might be that I'm not really thinking about it. Yeah. And it's probably only until after you're like, huh, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then the time's come and gone. And then it almost feels like this huge let down because I don't know, like, let's say in our society, like it's more about, you know, you're looking up to celebrities. So everyone thinks you're going to have this big moment where you meet yeah. these heroes, but it's never like that. Um, I've, I've never felt it to be like that. I, I, um, I mean, I've, I've been lucky to ride with a lot of these guys and maybe, maybe the closest I came was, um, I think it was 2016 or 17 i did uh, a five day it's this really cool five day festival in england it's called goodwood action uh goodwood festival of speed Amazing, it's held yeah. at a it's held at a castle they they turned the the lord what's his name lord march i think the guy's name is who owns it they turn his driveway into the racetrack so it's just the fastest car yep. to get up the hill and and so Formula One drivers come from around the world. The biggest celebrities come from around the world. Like the, the names that have been there, it's crazy. And I'd never cared. Like Jamiroquai was parked right next to us and he was partying off until, I don't know, what time in the morning. And like, we've got to wake up early and do our bloody freestyle show. So we're the freestyle riders being the yeah. responsible <laughs> going ones. To going to bed at bed. like 8.30 or going, something. <laughs> yeah, like, shut up over there. Like, say, like, you know, we've got to get some sleep. Metal militia um, stickers everywhere. We need to sleep. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, need, I need to have my peppermint tea before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, he was, they banned him from uh, wow. racing after about three or four years because he kept crashing into the walls, <laughs> like historic walls on the drive, and he kept crashing. So in the end, he had to pay a driver to drive his Lambos or his Ferraris or whatever he wanted to go up the hill. So then he just came basically to party. But yeah. uh, I don't know if he was banned, but he certainly was asked not to. Yeah. Um, please find somebody else to drive your car. But um, no, I, at that one event, about a week before, I found out Ricky Carmichael was coming. The GOAT, the greatest of all Absolutely, time in, motor, yep. in Supercross and motocross, whatever. And um, the promoter, well, however it happened, I think he was there purely to promote Florida. He wasn't there to ride. He wasn't there yep. to do anything. He just came as a spokesperson for Florida. So the promoter that was doing our show, he found out and said, if I find your Suzuki, can you jump in and do something? And so, yeah, Ricky did it. He brought over a set of plas um, graphics. So he put on his number four and he had all of his sponsors on there. completely bog stock rmz 450 and you know went down in the morning setting the bikes up there's ricky's bike off to the side and every you know we were all thinking is he actually going to turn up like is is he actually going to ride with us or not like is this just a joke and sure enough the squat little bloke comes walking around the corner and you see the ginger hair and big smile and it's, holy shit it's ricky carmichael 
And so he's putting his gear on with us. And, um, you know, we're all pretty dumbstruck, I guess. And anyway, we rolled out. And so I'm on my KTM 252 stroke. He's on his RMZ4 stroke. And he just rolls up beside me. And I guess because I was the fattest out of us, I was definitely the heavy, the heavy yeah. set rider. Maybe he chose me for the maybe the same kind of size as him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hey, can you give me a speed check? I, he goes, I haven't jumped a, a steel ramp in a long time. Like I, I've got no idea what speed this thing is. <laughs> okay um don't fuck yeah, up don't fuck up don't fuck up <laughs> yeah i'm like if you want to jump in behind me I'll, I'll give you a speed check and here i am giving the greatest rider who's ever jumped a motorcycle or ridden a motorcycle has asked me to give him a speed check i'm like this is ridiculous <laughs> so i did one jump and he kind of followed let's say five meters behind me and then he pulled off and then we did it again he's like oh yeah no i've got it it's it's fine so on the third one, I jumped, I looked back and Ricky is doing the biggest whip. The bike is upside down behind me. He hasn't jumped this ramp. The bike is a piece of crap and he has made this look so good. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just going to go park me? this up and you just do your yeah, thing. <laughs> exactly. You can do the full 45 minute show on your own. That yeah. is not a problem. So, yeah, we, we were doing the show and um, we had to do like a best trick competition. So, of course, Ricky kind of sat that one out. But instead, he went and stood up on top of the, the pile of dirt with the commentator directly under the landing, like right in my line of sight. He was standing there saying, you know, they were just talking, talking to the crowd. Hey, here we are. We've got Ricky Carmichael. Okay, we're going to do best trick. Now, Ricky, what are you looking for? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. All I can see before I'm about to do a backflip ruler or KOD or something, it's like, get get out of the way. Like, if I fuck <laughs> this up, I don't want to be the guy that crashed and, and <laughs> killed Ricky Carmichael. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was sweet. And then uh, we did the best whip competition, and he smoked all of us like all of us there our job is to do whips yep. and tricks and he destroyed all of us and i was just like this is this is just crazy and then we did the, the autograph signing and i sat there beside him as he was doing it and i was just like this is so strange like it's just such a weird feeling um to ride with someone like that and to see how good he is yeah like he is just on another level. And then, uh, again, I, at that point, I wasn't really taking a lot of photos. I don't like being in photos, even though I have to. But I was like, oh, I think I have to actually get a photo with Ricky. So I said, all right. So I got my wife to um, stand there with the camera. Right. Ricky, sorry, mate, but I, I'm going to have to be a fanboy here. I need a photo with you. And we took it. And, and just before we were about to take it, another guy starts walking over with his monster hat on. <laughs> and, of course, I knew who it was because I knew he was there that weekend. And my wife's like, hey, you. No, no, no. It's, it's just Steve and Ricky. Get out of the shop. <laughs> it was Ken Block. Oh. Ken Block's walking over to get a photo get with out. us three. 
And I'm like, shut up, Rage. Like, no, no, he's no. good. He's, he's good. He can be in. Yeah. It's 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 not a problem. Ken Block can be in this photo. That is a okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Ken Block was told by my wife to get out of the photo. That's a that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> get it. Get out. So, yeah, that was probably... Get out, Ken. You're not welcome here. Yeah. Hey, you you go stick to your to your skids down on the flat area, mate. Yeah. We're, we're busy here. <laughs> That's anyway. awesome. No, it was it was awesome. That, that was that Goodwood Festival Speed has to be one of the the best shows I've ever done because every year there's someone new and something different and yeah, I mean for you guys this is a an automotive podcast, yep. a car podcast. Um, if if you guys can get to England, it's in the south of England. It is the biggest or at least tied with another festival in Netherlands for the biggest festival of motorsport. I'd love and to get is, to it, yeah. It is. It's unreal. It's five days of, man, you, you'll never get around to everything to seeing it all. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Awesome. So let's talk Broken Bones. Yeah, I got a few. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ask how many. Um, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's more than the bikes you've had. Um, what... It is, and I couldn't count that. So, <laughs> so what's been the worst break you've ever had? Worst break? Um, the breaks have never been that bad. A broken bone generally is not that bad. Um, joint problems. That's that's what's bad. So the scariest broken bone would be when I broke my back the first time. That was very scary, purely. Um, like when I crashed, it felt like I had six inches of dirt just jammed up my backside. Like yeah. I, I completely flat landed, but my feet were in the air and my ass was the first thing to touch ground. So it was a huge impact and I really am surprised thinking back that I didn't actually do any spinal damage, but I broke my coccyx and dislocated it. So it's not where it should have been at all. And I broke L1, but so I, after about, again, after five minutes, I got up, I walked it off, went and sat in my friend's car. Uh, Shuey's, I think Shuey's missus drove me to the hospital, Leslie, to Boona Hospital, very small hospital, is cranky old bloody nurse. It was on a Sunday. So it was shut and she kind of opened the door and creaked through <laughs> with her eye and what do you want? I'm like, I could I could barely breathe. Um uh, I I don't know, I've got a really sore back. I I, I don't know, something's fucking sore. And she <laughs> kind of looked me up and down. Yeah, all right, come in. And um that was the first time I was in an ambulance. They because I went to that hospital, they had to send me to Ipswich Hospital but they could only send me in an ambulance. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. My friend will drive me. It's okay. We don't need to wait. Anyway, I had to take the bloody ambulance. But when I got there, the doctor told me what I'd done and what I'd broken. And the scary part was when he said, oh, have you been to the toilet yet? And I'm like, it feels like it'll take me a week to go to the toilet. Like, Why does that matter? If, yeah, I'm like, it feels like I've got an ice core of dirt up my backside right now. Like, uh, this hurts. Like, And he goes, well, you may not feel it. I'm like, what? 
is that, yeah, where the nerves come out from where you dislocated and broke off your tailbone, that's where the, uh, the nerve signals go to the front and to the back. And in that moment, I was just speechless. Like I, I was, I couldn't believe what, what he was saying. And again, my, my good mate Pete was there and luckily he was because he had to ask all the questions because I was like dumbfounded. Blah, 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 blah. Fuck, I'm fucked. I fucked yeah. my life. I've fucked everything. And um, must have been the next day I, I woke up and I went to the toilet. And, oh, yes. Yes, everything's fine. <laughs> <That's all good. laughs> everything's good. But yeah, it was, that was scary. It did hurt, but it was more that it was scary. Um, probably for, for the actual worst pain I've had, though, would have been my shoulder. When I ripped my shoulder to pieces, I tore a few muscles off the bone and, and dislocated it and had a full reco. That was, that was incredible, the amount of pain. I, I didn't think that was possible. Um, nothing's, nothing's come close to that. I've, I've broken 24 bones. I know you didn't ask, but I, I have counted all of those. <laughs> I'm, I'm up to 24, but like I said, a broken bone is nothing. It's um, joints are by far the worst. So my shoulder is done. Both of my ankles, I haven't been able to run since that crash in Cairns in 2005. I, I can't run. Um, and then what put me out of action was my hip, uh, my hip joint. So yeah, it, the, three, the three times I've done a joint, they were the issues. The 24 yeah. broken bones, I, whatever yeah I, I, who cares i, I really am not not yeah. worried about a broken bone yeah so was there ever a point with you know a break or, or or an injury that you've had was there a point that slowed you down apart from the hip obviously that that absolutely slowed finished you finished it yeah yeah um yeah was uh, there anything that slowed you down at all no no nothing nothing ever slowed me down i think from my broken back the first time it was two months to the day I had a show lined up in my hometown in Maribara, and I'd spent so much time to organize that show. And again, this was back when I was young and I thought I had to do everything because any opportunity was an opportunity. So I took it. So yeah, two months to the day after I broke my back, I did that show. Looking back now, that was a very, very stupid thing to do. I should, I should have listened to the doctor. Yeah. And probably not for just that one i probably should have listened to the doctor every time um i was always getting back on way too soon i'm after my shoulder reco actually probably the shoulder reconstruction was the longest until till this hip because it took me it took me nine months i think it was even to get my arm above my head uh, it took a long time for that and it took me even longer to feel good but it didn't stop me doing dumb stuff. Like I was yeah. still riding. So that was my right shoulder that I had done. So I was wake. Well, we had a, we had a rule with my friend in Maribara, Will Gunn. When we were wakeboarding, you, you know, the boat would always be so full in summer. So the rule was, if you don't wakeboard in winter, you don't get an invite in summer. Yeah, so right. of course I'm going through winter. I've just had my Rico. I, got two belts i wrapped them around my arm and i just strapped my right shoulder in and so i was wakeboarding on the mary river with my left arm and fuck, 
man, that was difficult to wakeboard with one hand. And I'm a big boy, so there was a fair bit, <laughs> fair bit of resistance in the water yeah. to get out of the water. Um, but I did that. Uh, I rode bikes with my arms strapped in. And again, if I look back now, if I'd simply fallen over and tweaked my arm, at that point, it was so delicate, I probably would have been in for another Rico. Yeah. So I was, I was a little bit <laughs> quick to jump the gun and get back on the bike. So nothing, nothing really slowed me down. It was only the hip that, that did it in the end. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, yeah, on to, on to injuries and getting back into it way too quick. I, um, I used to do a lot of freestyle BMX. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I broke my collarbone. It was yep. there was a we had a local skate park. I'm I'm from Penrith originally, okay. um, and there was a skate park in Penrith. There was actually like they were twins. There were like two sister skate parks. One was in Penrith. One was in Tarrant Point at the time. They closed and made one one skate park at Padstow. Um, yeah. So it was the last night that this this skate park was open in Penrith, and um, me and a bunch of mates went down, you know, see it off sort of thing, and we caught, we left early. And I'm like, yeah, this Hungry Jacks was like five minutes from there. So we sort of rode from there to Hungry Jacks, had something to eat. And I went, I'm, I just kind of turned around and went, it's the last night. Like, we're not done. You know, like, we're going back. So I went back. There was a couple of really good riders there. And um, I'm like, you know what? We're going, we're going out in style. And um, had this big 12-foot quarter pipe. Um, and I'm looking at it. I just all I've always wanted to just push like massive air out of this thing. I'm like, this is the time. And I it's, had to. It's now or never. I had to. There was like a, a proper vert ramp kind of right in the middle of everything. And I kind of I dropped in from the vert ramp, popped off the side of it, it's kind of flowed around around the side, and then hit this um, hit this twelve foot quarter pipe. And my mate was actually standing on top of it um kind of you know doing arms in the air sort of thing as i was jumping um as i as i came out um big sort of invert you know turn the bike upside down and i cleared him so he was probably about he was he was probably about five eight like he wasn't wasn't a real tall dude um but you know arms in the air and i cleared him completely um come back down back wheel caught the coping so i'm head first head first to concrete um no helmet wear your helmets oh, yeah. wear, wear your helmet kids um <clears throat> yep but you know look as as you'd know you learn to fall right you learn yeah. to sort of up oh, shit something's gonna hurt protect the head that's pretty much yeah. all all we learn is to protect our yeah, head exactly. so it was like just kind of twist and um managed to land like my shoulder caught the full brunt of it and i still hit my head anyway but not nowhere near as hard as i would have like i was yeah. face first to the concrete um so yeah broken collarbone i'm concussed I just started my apprenticeship i'm 17 years old uh i've got to ring <laughs> yeah i'm ringing my ringing my mother because i can't get hold of my father i i didn't even know i did any of this because <laughs> i was concussed um yeah so yeah, i was kind of like calm as like mum, i can't get hold of dad i need him to come and get me because he was like he had like fishing club things in Penrith at the time or something like that. I know he's out at yeah. the fishing club so just let him know I need him to come and pick me up just calm as she's like, okay you're alright I'm like yeah I've hurt myself I uh, just need him to come and get me and um, so dad just kind of wanders in and there I am I'm spaced out I'm sitting on a box jump just kind of watching a dude 
and i've been i've been concussed many times right and i'm sure you have too and you're kind of you're not really with it you're seeing things yeah. like am i actually yeah seeing things that? are happening in front but you're not am hey, I, you're not am focused I, yeah am i actually seeing that the first time i concussed myself i was wakeboarding and then i was convinced myself that i was still out on the water while i was watching all these other people so oh I'm, really I'm oh still, okay i'm still out on, the, out on the water doing mad tricks and um but i'm actually sitting on the bank next to my wakeboard with my mate sort of going are you all right man are you all right i'm out there <laughs> yeah so i'm watching i'm watching this guy and i had to turn on mate like he's sort of sitting there just kind of with me not knowing what to do because i was just spaced out you know like holding my arm my arm was like my shoulder was almost you know probably six inches down from where it should be um so he's kind of panicking a bit and i'm like am i watching this am i actually seeing what this guy's doing right now or am i just that spaced out and the dude literally like he was riding along and then just from pedals like literally from feet on pedals to feet on handlebar just jumped up bang feet on handlebars just balancing sort of just moving himself around i'm like i'm not seeing that hey like that, that dude cannot be doing what he's doing and my mate said it word for word what he's doing like I gotta go. <laughs> I can't handle wow. this. Yeah. You were so, just the space cadet at that just point. Just spaced out so hard. So four weeks later, um, GT World Nationals at Panthers uh, bike track, which is right behind Cables Wake uh, now Wake Park, but yes, yeah, water, okay. water ski park. Um, yeah, GT World Nationals. You know what I mean? Like it's only held in Australia. I think it's only been held in Australia twice. Huh. And I'm like, well, because I was, I was. I came from racing, as far as BMX went. Then went into freestyle because it was just more fun, and I I enjoyed the people more. Everyone, yeah. I, I was I was nobody when it came to racing. You know, like I was the guy that everybody kind of pushed aside um, yeah. because I was a nobody. I came from nothing, didn't know anyone. There was no family in it. I got into it myself. And um, I was starting to sort of progress through ranks and beating people that were, you know, licensed and whatever else to race in the nationals and things like that. So I was kind of just kept, they kept pushing me up. So I ended up in yeah. like in the A grade, but even a, oh, double, wow. a double A at one stage. And I was just, me and my mate were at the back of the pack just doing 360s and shit, getting yelled at. <laughs> like, we, we're like, we don't belong here. What are we even doing here? Yeah. But um, That's cool. Yeah, so GT World Nationals, I'm like, well, I can't race it. But what I can do is enter the King of Dirt, right? Oh. So I can't race it because of a broken collarbone. Like, it's, it's only yeah. just healed, but I can enter King of Dirt. That made sense to me somehow. I don't know how. Um, oh, to this day, I couldn't tell you. A better chance of crashing doing King of Dirt? Yeah, no problem. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so didn't crash King of Dirt at all. Land and tricks. Doing it sweet, no problem. I lined up on one gate. I'm like, all right, let's let's have a little bit of a run. And there was like a really odd sort of, it wasn't really a double, but it was kind of like a double with a small dip in it as more of a tabletop. And um, you just had to hit it really fast, but it was kind of, you had to hit it fast but low. Um, so I did that and I sort of, a bit of a, almost a bit of a scrub, you know, like to try and keep it low. And again, I've just clipped the back wheel and gone and just gone thunk, straight over. Onto the, onto the, like, over the front wheel. Broke it again? And, oh. um, yep, broke it again. But, oh. but the crash was nothing. You know what I mean? It was, it was roll, back to feet, pick my bike up, like, oh, no. And it was kind of yep. in that moment I've kind of picked, grabbed my bike and I've stopped and I've just gone, oh. I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, sunk my head down. A dude comes over and goes, you all right, man? Like, 
more more asking me to get off the track. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. I just broke my collarbone. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> just, to, again, calm as just like, oh, it's all good, man. I just broke my collarbone. So I'd, I'd, again, yeah. with that road home, broken collarbone, it's probably five or six k's to my house. Yeah. Road because that's the thing I used to do. I used to ride there, train, ride home. So I was like, yeah. the only way I'm getting home is riding home. So. You know, tuck your arm up, hold on to your, hold on to your shirt. You know what I mean, and then just yeah. ride home. So five k's, five or yeah, five or six k's or so. And, and I um, guess, and like most of that, you would have just been cursing yourself the for, worst. for doing it in the first place. So you're probably more angry to not even think about the pain. Like, oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, yeah. Why'd I do it? Yeah, no, I've got to go. And home. and I've got to go to work tomorrow because I've only just gone back to work. <laughs> So there, yeah. was, there was thoughts running like that morning. There's thoughts running through my head, you know, when I'm back at work, like, like if I could just throw myself off this ladder or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just anything to not be here. But yeah, you know, I was, I was using a hammer drill and all sorts. I'm like, so oh, bad. yeah, no way. Yeah. yeah so but you actually did. You went and worked. I had to. I, yeah, yeah, well, I, I only just went back, you know, it was my job or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, well, I've got to go to work. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty much got home from work. Just I would lay sort of like face down on my bed and prop the other side of my body up, so I'd literally just hold my hold myself straight, and that's what I'd do. I'd watch TV. That's the whole when I wasn't at work or driving to work or, or doing anything. That's what I was doing, just just to give it the best chance I could to um to heal, and and then I broke it again. So I broke it three times in as many months. Well, hang on, what was the third time? How, how did you do it okay, the third now, time? Did the, I miss, did the, I miss now, that? Now, <laughs> no, yeah, the third time was my sister's 21st birthday. Oh, well, I can see where this is going. No. <laughs> you know what? You can't. I can tell you. Oh. Um, it was as simple as she wanted me to get up and dance. I didn't want to. I'm still nursing a broken collarbone. Well, not broken. Like, it's just healed. But, you know, like, I'm, I'm not interested. I don't. I don't really dance anyway, right? Um, um, I'm hearing you. Yeah, and um, yeah, so she's grabbed, she's grabbed my hand and just tried to pull me out of my seat. Just grabbed the hand of the broken collarbone and pulled it across my body. Just pop, just as she's pulled it, like it had literally only just healed again. I'm like, you're fucking oh, kidding no. me. Yeah, and that, that one, that was the one that brought tears to my eyes because it was literally like, you know, have you broken a collarbone? Yeah, both. Yeah, yep. Yeah. They're fun, aren't they? Um, yeah. So, yep. <laughs> so normally they, you know, the first time it healed perfect. You know what I mean? Like it healed back straight, which nice was great. Straight, yeah. The second time it had kind of gone, yeah, kind of started to overlap a bit, but it was still straightish. It had kind of just kicked a little. The third time, and even now you, you can still see it. Now it healed almost like it was a, a forty-five degree angle and overlapped yep. itself by a good half an inch either side. Yep. Yep. So, yep. The oh mate, I I'm feeling you there. I know that feeling. That that sucks. Yep. Bloody collarbone. So the first time I broke it, I was concussed and just out of it, so I didn't feel it anyway. Yep, exactly. The second time was just like a little pop and a flutter. I'm like, oh well, that's done again. Um, yeah. And yeah, the third time was the one that brought tears to my eyes. That was bad. Yeah, I bet. But that was yeah, yeah that was literally, that was that was like snapping bone and then pulling it through yourself. Like that was that was bad. Yeah. You're nearly lucky it didn't like it didn't go through the skin. Yeah, it when wasn't it, when wasn't, it goes on 45 degrees, it'd be getting close. It wasn't far off it. 
Yeah, I yeah. my the second time I did my collarbone was in New Zealand, and it was very very close to going through the skin because what you just showed me there, like the forty five degree angle, yeah. that's what mine did, and oh yeah, that that hurt. I had to wait a couple of weeks actually to get a to fly home and get my surgeon who did my first shoulder reco to, yeah. to do my collarbone, and yeah, that was that was interesting actually. I don't even know why I did it, but my wife had organized with her friends to go up to Noosa for a, a weekend of camping. So we had a, a blow up mattress and I was on codeines and whatever. And to try and sleep on an air mattress with a broken collarbone that's going clickety clack, clickety clack. Oh, that is not man, fun. That was, <laughs> that was not fun. That, that, that was a camping trip I wish I never yeah. did. But anyway, yeah, no, the, the joy of. I mean that that's just part of the game, isn't it? Like if if you're into BMX and you're doing that, that's that's part of the game. That's um, right. And doing what I do, that's just part of it. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. No, hosp- hospitals aren't too much of an issue for me. I'm I'm pretty regular there. So. <laughs> yeah. Although I would say though, um, as a freestyle rider, I don't crash very well. I'm I I hit the ground hard. But every time I watch BMX riders crash, it's like they tumble and get up and they're on their feet and they like just dust themselves off from a much bigger crash than I would have had. And I'm like, yeah. how the how the hell do BMX riders learn to be like cats and somehow get out of crashes? Like anytime I hit the ground, I'm pretty much guaranteed a broken butt. So I, I think yeah, we just I, I think we just learn how to move through the air well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like somehow because a lot of yeah, obviously with a with a uh, motorcycle, you've got a lot of weight there, so you can use that to offset your movements. With a BMX, you don't, so you've got to kind of really throw it and move it to where you need to you need it to be to you need it to be away from you or something. And... Yeah, to sort of to to counteract what you're doing. So like a Superman or something like that, you really need to kind of throw that bike forward rather than and, and kind of tuck your you, you tuck your knees to your chest and then push your feet back. You don't sort of yeah. just throw yourself back. You know what I mean? Um, Whereas so, I would just be flailing through the air, yeah, <laughs> yeah, having no yeah. no control, just going, ah, oh, crap, yeah. this is going to hurt. Yeah, so I think it's yeah more just we really need to know how to move ourselves than anything. Yeah, so, I'm, 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 I yeah. wish I, I wish I learned that. I wish but, I learned um, how to crash. It, like it doesn't it doesn't right. always end well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I can most <laughs> I of most of my motorcycle stacks have been smoother than my BMX stacks, so. And you yeah. know, case in point, broken collarbone, heading face first to concrete. So, um, That's it. the best I could do was kind of turn myself maybe thirty degrees so that I didn't hit my face. Yeah, and oh. don't go to twenty-first parties. Yeah, that's. <laughs> that's all i got out of that yeah. don't Maybe, go dancing yeah so that was don't dance and don't don't refuse anything that's oh, it shit. yeah so yeah. How, how do you deal with fear like i imagine you know let's let's talk a backflip how do you how do you sort of get yourself over the fear of taking yourself in, um, in, a, in a motorcycle upside down oh man that, they're two very different questions because the fear of jumping, there, there is always a fear every day um, that I go riding to go training. Like the first jump is always, you're always just that little bit nervous because, yeah, I mean, 
did I have a good sleep last night? Am I, am I thinking straight? Am I, you know, because we don't have a speedo. Yeah, has anything changed? I've got the speed right, yeah. Yeah, like, and so, or you go to a new place, go into a new place to ride. That first jump, like, you don't know if that ramp's got a funny kick in it. Maybe the landing is not very big, so there's not much for you to land on or if it's, if it's too steep or whatever, or if it's wind, if it's rain or whatever. Then that's not even talking about a show or a competition. Yeah. Like, that's a completely different mindset. Um, but the, the way I deal with fear is I, I would ride every day, every day or as much as I could. Just ride, 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 ride until you can't ride anymore. Like it has to be second nature to remove the fear. The fear is, um, will I screw this up because maybe I, maybe I don't know what I'm doing or whatever it is. Like I want to make sure I'm as 100% about what I'm doing as possible. Yeah. Um, the backflip though, that, that was something that took a very long time for my brain to get over. It took me six years from doing the first backflip into a foam pit yep. to finally taking that trick to dirt. I had been offered to ride on the Krusty tour every year since like 2006. And all, like Shui kept saying, cause he was the main rider on tour and he, yep. I was riding with him every day. And he's like, they, they want you on the tour. All you have to do, is do a backflip. And so I was jumping in his phone pit and I would be shitting myself going to bed at night thinking about, okay, tomorrow, is that the day that I'm going to take this to dirt? And I never crashed at that point. I never crashed the backflip attempting it or anything like that. I always crashed doing something else. Like I'd crash at a competition or I'd crash just doing something dumb. But generally, because my mind was so focused on this backflip, like I had this, it wasn't a monkey on my back. This this was King Kong. Yeah. And it was like hitting me every day. And it was, as every month went on, as every year went on, that fear got so much worse. And it was, it was debilitating. Like it was fucking crap. Like I've, I, I've I, can't, been, I have been there and... I can tell you, you, yeah. you got it done. I still never have. Yeah, yeah. it's, man, I'm, I'm not surprised. Like, it's scary. It, it's a super scary thing to do. And, and as much as we do it now so easily, and everybody does it easily, shouldn't take away from the fact how gnarly that trick really is to do yeah. in the first place. Maybe it's a men, it, it is a mental thing. It's completely mental because the actual, to do a backflip is easy. The, the yeah, yeah. physically doing it, it's the, one of the easiest things you could do. Go off the ramp, just like lean back a little bit and wait for the, the bike to rotate around you. It's not that difficult. But to trust that you've done the right thing on that run up, when you've got, let's say, 25 meters of run up and you're just looking at the ramp going, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> is this going to work or is this not going to work? Am I going to hospital or yeah it, it took a long 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 time um and yeah i mean in the end like i i was so i did a lot of chewies he, he was a couple of hours from home so i was living in brisbane at the time 
And I'd drive to his place at Boona and, and I'd ride with him for three or four days at a time. I wouldn't get the job done. And I'd drive home just angry at myself. And then um, after a while, I was riding with a guy called Clinton Moore, who also went on to be one of the best riders in the world from Bundaberg. And so, and I was also managing him as well at the time because I thought I'd finally use that business degree that I'd, <laughs> you know, finished years and years earlier. Um, so I'd drive up to Bundaberg and that was probably four, four and a half hours to his place. And that drive there was just like, yeah, my palms are sweaty, everything. Like I'm just shitting bricks. Turn up there. I would do the, every backflip into his phone pit perfectly. But as soon as I went and looked at the ramp to dirt, no go. It, I would jump that straight 50 times, 100 times, screaming at myself like, yeah, just fucking do it, you pussy. Like, it's not that hard. And uh, yeah, I, then I'd drive four and a half hours home just yelling at myself. Like, it was, that was, it was such mental torture for myself. And then after, let's say, the fourth or fifth year of this same procedure, I said to myself, okay, maybe I need a goal. Maybe I need an external thing. So I said, if when I land the backflip, I'll buy myself my first road bike. And, you know, the, the biggest you could get is up to 650cc. So I, yep. I said, right, I'll get the, the Yamaha V-Star 650. That'll be my reward. That didn't help. I didn't do it for that. Like, <laughs> I thought, oh, maybe, maybe it's just something You'll Give yourself else an incentive, die. yeah. Uh, it was, I was just shitting bricks. But once it, once I finally did it, one day I just said to him, like, yep, no, I got it today. And he's like, are you sure? We, we've done this we've, now for a few We've done years. this dance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've done this dance. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, no, drag the ramp over. I'll do it. And I did it. I did it off a smaller ramp because I thought maybe that was my issue in my brain was the big distance means big consequences. And I'm like, oh, let's just do it off a small one. And I just flipped it around as easy as I did off the big one. But maybe I felt like the consequence wasn't as high. Yep. I was like, yeah, no, I got it. I did it. Just didn't, didn't even think about it. I just rolled around, looked at the ram. Oh, yeah, sweet. Did the backflip, landed, looked over at Clinton, and he wasn't even filming because he's like, I honestly didn't think you were going to do it. Like, <laughs> he's, he's not getting this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we've, we've done this so many times. Like, I can't fill up my camera with any more videos of you not flipping. <laughs> we have so many so dead like, sailors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, go and do it again. I'm like, oh, are you fucking serious? Okay. So rode straight back around. The second one was much harder than the first. The first one kind of just happened. Yeah, the second I... one felt like all this pressure. I'm like, oh no. Did I fluke okay, it? I yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did the second one. It was sweet. And yeah. then, you know, everything went from there. It was, and it was just such a mental block. It, it's so incredible how much that held me back in my career, how much it held me me back personally because i was so focused on one thing this fucking backflip i i cursed carrie hart every day why did you do <laughs> a goddamn backflip in 2000 like yeah. you made my life so much more difficult um but yeah i mean after that point then it was it was okay but yeah you i would still turn up to events 
I would still go to someone's house or something and still have days where I was like, fuck, I'm not feeling it today. And like, yeah, there's, there is fear there, but you have to manage that fear because, well, you need it. You need the fear to know that this is dangerous. If you don't have the fear and you think you can do it easy, that's when you have the big crashes. If you're a little bit scared, it's actually, I think it's the best thing. Then you're calculated, you know your risks, you you make the right decisions. You're far so, more alert, yeah. Yeah, like it for for normal riding for for everything else around the bike, I I did purely just ride as much as I could to eliminate as much of that fear as possible. Yep. But that backflip, that was just that was a whole other ball game. That was a that was a massive pain in the ass. <laughs> so the the first one you didn't even really get to celebrate either. No, I didn't celebrate <laughs> at all. Like, oh, I, I was go do a second so we, can, so we can get it. Yeah. yeah, I was pissed that Clinton didn't video it. And he's like, mate, why would I have even bothered? Like, you weren't going to do it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was good. It was, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it was cool to do it. So what was, what was that era like? After, I guess it was 2000, 2001, you said that Carrie Hart pulled the first backflip. So how long until you got yours after that? <laughs> 2012 okay i started i started in 06 working yep. on it um and i had it i could have done it to do it then that wouldn't have been a problem i possibly could have been on the whole crusty tour from 2006 and maybe now i'd be absolutely loaded and not have an issue in the world with money <laughs> but i certainly missed the glory years yeah. of of touring those crusty tours and then turn from the crusty into nitro um they were definitely the glory years for riders to make a living from the sport and but then that was also the time where tricks were also getting so much more difficult year after year like the progression was so high just to do the backflip in a way it would have got me the job but it that didn't really mean anything It, it there was so much more after the backflip yeah um but it was definitely something that held me back. Certainly, those, yeah, that main time. I think after 2012, when I finally landed it, the problem was like I would go to shows and kids would be, you know, I'm rolling in to go do the jump and you've got kids on the side, like, you know, cheering and there'll always be one going, do a backflip. Oh, like, I can't. I'm, you I get can't that now. <laughs> yeah. No, then it got worse. So yeah. I'm like, okay, I've got my backflip. I can go to shows. And you're rolling around and kids like, do a double backflip. Like, oh, That's fuck, I can't do a double backflip. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and then, you know, now it's triples and front yeah. flips and everything else. So it, that's that's part of the game. Like yeah. freestyle is all about progression and everyone wants to see the next thing. So, yeah, the plus and the minus. Yeah. So what was the... um. Well, I, think, I can't remember if it was 2006 or 2007 X Games where Travis pulled the double backflip. What was Six, what was that yeah. like? Oh, yeah. At that point, I'm like, why am I even bothering? Like, what, what's <laughs> going on? You're just, just starting to try your backflips, and Travis comes yeah. out, does a double. You're like, oh, okay. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I was just like, well, this, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong place, I think. But uh, no, it was. Um, I think still at that point. I was still more of a fan than I was a rider. I was still learning what to do. I was still learning the ropes. And so I, I was just a fan. I was just, 
I'm still dumbstruck by what he did and and what he could do at the time, how far in front of everybody else he was yeah. and still is. Like he's just the way he thinks is on another level to everybody else. Like we're we're always playing catch up yeah. to Travis. Yeah, no doubt. The the man the man even now, even still, like he's just an animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Ken Block gave him the keys to um to Jim Carner for 2020, and you've you've seen what he's done with that. That was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like he's just. I hate when people are so damn naturally gifted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like ah, oh, hell. No, he's he's just on another level. Simple as that. Everything. Yeah. Um. So we'll talk about some of your, your I guess, business professional life a bit. You've been okay. you, you you mentioned before you've been a a, a TV host and commentator. Yep. What 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 kind of things have you have you sort of done with that sort of stuff? Um, well, it all I don't even know how it really started, but there was um, a TV show in Australia called Homegrown Maniacs, um, and it was done by. Oh, a I still guy I who... still remember the tune to that. Do ya? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I I'm not going to try and do my impersonation of that like <laughs> Deegan but uh, yeah I, I do know what you mean yeah. yeah it's very kind of unique sound yeah. just to open that show yeah and I, I'd always watch their like Holtzy did these video series on freestyle and then he came up with the TV show idea and so he's from WA when he came over to Brisbane um, he needed a, a TV host just to there was a skateboarding or maybe two or three skateboarding segments he wanted done. I don't know anything about skateboarding. So I didn't know anything about skateboarding and I definitely didn't know anything about TV hosting. So I really hate looking back on that old footage because <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about and I didn't know how to talk about yeah. it. Um, but I did get to see some cool places, which was awesome. Um, so that was, that was kind of 2007 or eight. Because I guess I was writing for magazines. Like I, I could write. I knew how stories should go. And I was in front of the camera as a, as a writer. But to be the host is a completely different kettle of fish. Like even now, talking to you now, I, I haven't done this for a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm normally where you are. I'm asking the questions. And so at that time, it was the role reversal. I was used to being asked the questions. I'd give a dumb answer and, and we'd all go off, <laughs> and off and your way, you know. Um, but to, to direct the show, to come up with the questions, to make it interesting, that was very difficult in the start. And then I, I came over here to Europe. Uh, again, this was when I was managing Clinton and Josh Sheehan. Uh, so I came over in that capacity, but their, I think it was their TV host couldn't make it. And he was this crazy Russian dude. I don't know how they got this Russian <laughs> to do their English commentary for the World Championships. It's a German company. And um, he couldn't make it. So they're like, oh, well, Steve, you're the only person here who speaks English as a first language. Like, could you just jump in and, and do this episode? Well, uh, I've kind of done it before with Homegrown. I've had a little bit of experience with it and um, yeah, it kind of took off. Like I, I really got into it because I was talking about the subject matter that I knew. I knew yeah. everything 
about freestyle motocross as a fan, as a rider, I, I, yeah, it was just so much easier. Then all I had to do was work on dropping my Australian accent because nobody could understand me. Um, speaking a lot slower, a lot clearer. Obviously now I've kind of resorted back maybe a little bit to my normal stuff. Normally I'm much slower than this. Um, and that, yeah, it, was, it kind of just went from there and it went from one episode and they had like this big freestyle of nations where they, it, it was a, a soccer field, a soccer stadium in Germany near Dusseldorf, that kind of area. And they pulled the whole soccer field out of the stadium. It's on these massive rollers. The, the, green, the green infield goes out. And so you've just got the floor and nine of the jumps made this massive bloody freestyle course. And they, again, they wanted me to do the, um, the TV hosting for that. And from then on, yeah, pretty much every episode, they're like, all right, well, that's, that's your job. So, yeah, it was kind of in 2014, I, I was, man- it was still managing those boys. Clinton had a show. I think that's what it was. He couldn't make it, but they needed a judge. And so I was talking with my friend at the time, Zer, and he was the athlete manager of the world championships. And because I'd spoken to him a lot about the rioters, he's like, oh, could you come over and judge? We've got five events in six weeks. So it kind of makes sense for your flights, for the cost of your flights. So I would judge the event and I hosted the, the TV show. And that's really the only reason I'm sitting here in Germany right now was because of that. And I felt, okay, well, I'm not actually there to ride. I'm there to do the least amount of work possible. Like, you can't get a better job than being a TV host. Like, no, sorry, probably judging. Only at the end of a competition, one guy likes you and 11 other guys hate you if they lost. <laughs> um, but you only need to work for, like, one hour. And, yeah. and you've had this whole trip paid for. It's freaking awesome. But, um, yeah, we we kind of just use this as our holiday to, to come over here and do it. And yeah, 2014 until now, still, still doing it. I ended up working with Volkswagen for one of their rallies in Wales. And I've done a few other different things here and there. And then I ended up in voiceover work um, for, you know, TV shows. Uh, there was like this video magazine, I guess they call it like a mashup of, BMX and freestyle and wake and snowboarding and surfing and whatever. So I had to buy all this equipment to do that. So yeah, kind of everything's happened through luck. Kind of dumb luck, but I kind of put myself in the right position that if luck was to happen, I I may have had a chance to say yes. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into the the TV hosting. Awesome. Um, you've also got a book. You've written a book called yeah. The Ultimate Guide to Freestyle. How did, how yeah. did, that, how did that come about? What? Well, two, there's two parts to that. Um, so way, way back in the day before MySpace and everything like that had even kicked off, there was a website called fmxaustralia.com and I think there was one from America called freestylemtx.com. So, you know, we'd just go onto these online forums and that was the only way I could get reasonably up-to-date information on my 28.8 kilobit bloody dial-up modem um so 
when I was at university, oh, sorry, when I was at the college first doing the remedial therapies diploma, wanting to be a physio, I also was studying anatomy and physiology and body movement and mechanics and things like that. And so I really worked out how I was doing my tricks and I was thinking more about each specific movement, the, the relationship of, let's say, the centre of gravity of the bike and me and whatever. So I just started writing some guides because people didn't know how to do them. And then I was writing for Freerider MX magazine. I had a monthly column. I'd do the tests. I'd do some interviews and blah, blah, blah. And I went to the editor, um, Simon Macker, and I said, um, stupid idea, but um, I've done a whole bunch of these trick guides that I've just written for forums. Like, what do you think if we make a book out of that? And he took it to the publisher at Morrison Media, and um, they came back with a few more ideas. And that's, that's kind of how it happened. It was just uh, what, do you, what do you reckon? Is this a good idea or a stupid idea? Uh, seems okay. And in the end, we had the, the book deal. So Awesome. And, and I had a year to write that book, actually. It was a year or six months. Maybe it was six months. Six months to write it. Um, and, of course, I treated writing that book like I treated going to university. I'll, I'll do it later. I'll, I'll just do a bit later. And I knew there was a month left before the deadline. I was like, yeah, I'll knock that over in a month. That'll be fine. There's 120 pages. And uh, at that one month point, Smacker sent me an email. He's like, oh, here you going with the book? I'm like, oh, yeah. Halfway there, almost done. Yeah, nearly ready. <laughs> He's like, oh, good, because you're due in two weeks. I'm like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. We've got a month. He's like, no, the whole thing has a month, but I need two weeks to you know, proofread it and do whatever. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, <Ready. laughs> yeah, so I, I wrote that whole book in two weeks. Wow. Um, yeah, that was uh, first, well, yeah, first book I ever wrote, but I never really read books. I was, I, I was never into books. I mean, the, the only book I read before that was The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Um, <laughs> still, it's still a classic. <laughs> Exactly, and, and then I ended up writing that one. So, yeah, but that was that was in two thousand eight, I think, was yeah. released. Uh, so yeah, long time ago. Um, feel feels like a lifetime ago, but I'm I'm working on another one. So hopefully, a new one will be out whenever I get time. I started three years ago. Um, again, it's like the university thing. I just tomorrow next week i'll yeah. do it next week so i don't know maybe it'll, if nobody pushes me it'll never happen yeah so yeah i have my dogs underneath me right now barking their heads off i can hear that <laughs> i couldn't hear your air conditioner but i can uh, hear the dogs yeah they um They're probably saying this is going on too long this guy <laughs> can, we can. we are definitely gonna have to cut it short but we got we got enough time for a couple more um yeah so the founding partner of queensland motor park Yep, How that did... was <laughs> that was crazy. I imagine that'd um, be some work, getting getting that, that sort of thing going. That took five years to get the moto park happening, um, and and this was back when I was riding with Matt Schubring, and uh, he was getting towards the end of his career, and he's like, I don't really have many other things to fall back on, so he's like, I want to build a bike park, 
And, you know, I, again, I'd just finished that uni degree, hadn't used it. So he's like, all right, how about um, you be the brains, you do the business side and I'll be the brawns. And um, yeah, so we, we kind of went at it like that. So him and I were, like, we got some investors on, we looked at a whole bunch of different properties. And we were kind of looking about needing $2 million to make it happen, to buy the land, to buy the machinery, to build it. And we met, uh, we met this mayor out at Lockyer Valley. I, I can't remember his name. Um, oh, Steve Jones or something, maybe something I can't remember. Anyway, he was like a pretty big figure when the Toowoomba floods were on uh, about 10 years ago. Anyway, we went out and we met him and we told him this plan and we found this block of land in his shire and we just kind of needed him to be on board to, to get it across the line. And he's like, yep, sounds like you boys. Like we told him this whole story for 45 minutes. He didn't hardly say a word. Like this big yeah. bloke in his, in his chair in the mayor's office and, you know, us two not really looking like we know what we're doing, but we knew how to ride motorbikes and build jumps. That's about all we knew. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Um, he goes, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a tip. The government's about to lose the next election. Um, and this is something I think we could go to the government with. And he's like, do you want to get investor money on and do it yourself and take that massive risk and what goes along with that? Or do you want the free money from the government? Like, free money. Free, good free money, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take that one. Um, so I was doing a lot of press around it to make it a political issue. And one of the things I found, I can't remember the stats. Like this is 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago now, but there was a lot of deaths of trail riders in the bush, riding illegally, whatever. Yeah. And I thought if, if there was two car crashes on the one stretch of road, you'd have a brand new road, which would cost millions. Exactly. But why is there so many deaths of trail riders and they just kind of go by the by. And in the end, the, well, the, the one political party lost who was promising everything, kind of our dreams died with that. Two years later, so it kind of nothing happened. Two years later, I got a call from that mayor again. He's like, right, the, uh, the party that's in at the moment, they know they're screwed this time. They've looked back on the promises from the last election. Your bike park was in there. We need to have a proposal in two weeks whoa okay <laughs> here um, we go riding so, again here yeah. <laughs> yeah so we were like from 100 to zero and now we're back to 200 and I'm like, yeah. holy crap here we go and in the end uh we went with the government option we worked with uh motorcycling queensland uh the queensland state government and the council of mayors of southeast queensland so brisbane gold coast and all those shires in that area and they chipped in, I think it was two and a half million, um, about 1,800 acres of land uh, out past Ipswich, about, about an hour and a half from Gold Coast, an hour from Brisbane. And, uh, and we built the bike park. So it took us five years. It was, it was certainly a rock and roll roller coaster of a ride. Uh, yeah, it was, it's cool to, to have done it. It was, yeah. I certainly learned a lot of life lessons on that one. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, we were just young and all that energy, we wanted to do it. Certainly we weren't smart in the business sense, but we were 
we were just determined to make this thing happen. And, and I'm stoked that everybody that was part of that group, we, we made it happen. So yeah. still going, things kicking goals with both feet. So it performed so much better than we even pre- could anticipate at the time. So many people turned up because places are getting shut down left, right and centre. Yeah. So to have somewhere to go and the government's actually behind it, whoa, okay, that's, yeah. That's a, that's a big thing. Like uh, even when I was riding, like it was always hard to find somewhere to ride. You had to know yeah. someone who had property or you had to travel for hours and pay hundreds of dollars. Yeah, like it was always like a, a four or $500 weekend sort of thing just to ride for exactly. two days, you know, and then and then you're coming back and you're doing the maintenance on the bike. So that's another couple, yeah, couple of hundred just to yeah. do that. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's having not something... not a cheap sport. No. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for all that travel and all that everything. So if we could build something close to the city centres, yeah, it worked. It yeah. worked really well. So, yeah. And it's still, no, just... it's still going today, going strong. Yeah, still going strong. Um, I'd still be there if I didn't come to Europe. Um, yeah, I'd still be involved, but yeah, I came here and, and stayed here. So it's 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 still doing its thing. I'm yeah. not I'm not involved in it anymore. But uh, yeah, if whenever I come home, I'd love to to get back into it again. Awesome. Uh, where are we? So we'll talk about your podcast. Let's, let's get into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, this, this is what I mean. Like, I'm I'm on the wrong side of the fence. Yeah, that's right. Normally, I'm interviewing uh, other other riders, other industry people in freestyle motocross. That that's so. The podcast is the Riders Lounge podcast. It's very niche. It's about freestyle motocross. I, it's kind of about action sports and motocross as well. But but the core is what I do is is freestyle motocross. Um. But yeah, as I said to you before we started this off, I, I never wanted to do a podcast. I never had any interest in them. I never listened to them. It was not on my radar, but a really good friend of mine kept pushing me. And he's like, the, the places that I've been lucky enough to see, the people I've been lucky enough to meet, because I imagine if you'd recorded a half hour or one hour interview with Ricky Carmichael or with whoever, on on your travels he's like that would have been old yeah and he was absolutely right so of course um i'd planned this i guess it must have been it's over a year now it's just before covid kicked off everything's pre or post covid now right that's yeah that's Um, how we measure things now yeah yeah so i i'd planned it before covid was even a thing we did one event in berlin i think it was one week before all of our lockdowns happened over here in germany so I did four interviews with a few different guys there. Sheenie, who's the only guy to ever do a triple backflip. One of the guys I managed, which was unbelievable. A really good friend of mine, uh, but he's one of the nicest guys in the world and he's so smart. And he, there's somebody who knows how to deal with fear. Yeah. Like he's, he's on another level. But I interviewed a bunch of guys and what I wanted to do was catch them at an event or at home chilling out with a beer like i just wanted to have a beer and really get the everything behind it like yeah. you know like what i was saying about brian deegan that interview he turned into the showman he yeah. gave the showman's address but i i want to get the real story behind the people and what they're yeah. really thinking 
And that's, that is quite difficult to do. It's sometimes very hard to get people to open up and like they'll generally go back to not trying to piss anybody off or saying the right thing for the sponsors or whatever it yeah. is. So to get those, the, the essence of the story yeah. out, it's, it is a little bit difficult, but it is fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, so I did the first four interviews. They were live how I wanted to do them. And since bloody COVID, uh, I think I've only done a couple extras where I could actually see the person because we've been locked down over here in Germany is just incredible. Like, I was about to ask <laughs> you guys, that, yeah. Right, right now, I guess, in Victoria, everybody's jumping up and down about one week. Well, pfft, one week is not a pimple on the backside of what we've had to do over yeah. here. Like, I know Victoria particularly would be jumping up and down because they had, it was like four months straight and then they would come out of it for maybe a month and then they're back into it again. And so they've been you know, in and out so many times. It's just, I mean, it's old hat to them, but it's still, you know, like it's just, again, serious. Yeah. yeah. I think it's maybe that in a way, maybe it's better here because we've just been in near on one solid lockdown. Like yeah. since March last year, like we had our European summer, they kind of let us out a little bit, not much. Um but it very quickly we were back in lockdown. Like it must be three or four months now we're going on where we can only meet one other person. Yeah. Um, like it, it's still going, but the, I think the difference is over here, it is so bad. Like the new infection rate every single day exceeds what Australia's had the entire time, I think. Yeah. I, like it's just ridiculous. But um, no, so the, for the podcast, then I've had to do what we're doing right now. Yep. I had to think of ways like to use the internet and and to find a way to do it in a way that i was happy to do it for the you know the quality and whatever but it, yeah i'd rather get out of here i'd rather be i'd rather be at an event i'd rather be on on the road traveling meeting everyone and, and doing interviews that way but until that day happens until that day comes again we'll have to continue on using the tools we've got, luckily in the 21st century, this is, you know, this is what we have. So we Abs can do it. Absolutely. Cool. We're super fortunate because nobody wants to listen to me for nearly two hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I need to have interesting people on so that that makes my voice bearable to start with. And yeah, and, and the stories I have. So thank you. Thanks I'm, for being one I'm of those exactly, people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely with you on that. Absolutely. 100%. I, no one would want to listen to me on what I do for two hours. So I'm yeah. glad I've got other people to do it for me. So no, it's awesome. Awesome to jump on with you and yeah. uh, go into something a little bit different. Absolutely. So we'll wrap up. We've got one more question for anyone out there that's kind of chasing their dream. Um, like, like you've been with freestyle motocross or any, any dream that they might be chasing at all. What words of advice have you got for them? Hmm. What words of advice that's tough don't give up don't don't give up on your dreams i guess um many times i probably should have <laughs> i could have <laughs> um no i i don't know just don't give up like what, whatever you want to do go for it you've only got one life and i think i think that's one thing as an action sports athlete or somebody who even does it like yourself or anyone in that in a frame of mind where you're risking your life 
you start to take stock of what's actually important. And like every day I ride, I have to accept the fact that maybe I die. I've lost friends. I've lost heroes. I've lost like, you know, just jumping a fucking motorbike. Is it really worth it? Well, no, <laughs> it's not worth dying for what we do. But on another sense, I'm not going to stop because this is what I want to do. And I'll reduce as many of those risks as I can. So the other thing is, why do you do these? Why do you, why do you chase whatever dream you chase? Whatever that reason is, stick to it. My reason is I don't want to work in the real world. I'm trying to avoid the real world like the plague. So I will do absolutely everything in my power to, uh, to avoid the real world. And I was lucky that I made the right decisions or I put myself in the right place or I, I kind of just said yes to everything say yes to everything and and see where it takes you and if it's a if it's a mistake all right well it's a mistake learn your lesson move on move on um, make, go make the next mistake yeah go make the next i've made so many it's not funny and i would not say i've i've been overly successful in what i do um there's far better writers than me there's you know i don't care about money but people have made far more much more money than i have but i don't care like what I care about is having fun. I get to travel the world on somebody else's paycheck. Um, my wife comes with me, so we're having a holiday everywhere we go. Like, it's I've just treated this as one huge working holiday. And, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and that and that was that was something that's been a little bit difficult to deal with after the crash and retirement through injury. Like it was forced upon me. So then I had to change what I was going to do. And of course, I, I did have those backup plans. I've been to uni and I've, I've done all these other things and there's a lot of projects in the background. But I still have to always remember why am I doing it? And the reason I'm doing it is to just stay on holidays and uh, have fun, awesome. not, not lose, not get over it, you know? Nice. Thank you so much for joining me, mate. I really appreciate it. Before we do go, let us know where we can find you and everything you, you're doing at the moment. <laughs> oh, I think maybe let's, it's let's easy. Just, everybody let's just go with you. Description. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all right. Jump in the show description. I'll give you a bunch of links. No, I yeah. mean, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, bloody YouTube, everything. Um, most of them, the, the handle is just Steve Summerfeld or Steve Summerfeld FMX or the podcast is writer's lounge podcast or invert management or night of the jumps whatever there, there's a whole bunch there's of different so things much, i do yeah. i've got i've got a few we've, different projects on I've, the run yeah so. unfortunately we, we've run out of time so we've had to kind of skip a whole bunch of stuff that i did want to talk about which just means we're gonna to have to have you on again to talk about all that sort of I, stuff not a problem if if people have if they've still got to this point one i'd like to know what you're doing that you're still listening <laughs> after this long that would be very interesting to know yeah, if, if you want me to come back on, I'd love to jump back on. Absolutely, uh, mate. That's not an issue. Awesome. It would be an absolute pleasure. Awesome. No, thanks Thanks so much, mate. It's been, been great. It's been awesome. Thanks, mate. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening in, and I hope to have you tune in again next week. Don't forget to head over and follow Gather Together on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Gather Together Podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share the podcast with a friend and even consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. I look forward to bringing you more next week, so please have a great week 
and look after each other.